Hello and welcome to another episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined here by your boy, Heavy Gaze, here from the Upside Down Library. And as usual, we want to give a huge shout out to our amazing sponsors who help make the episodes happen. Huge shout out to Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the industry, guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why would you go anywhere else? If you're not happy at the end of the grow, hit them up. They'll sort you out. No reason to shop anywhere else. Likewise, in order to get your crop pumping on all cylinders at its full potential, you need to keep your garden pest and pathogen free. For that, check out our friends at Copet Biological Systems. Everything you need to keep pests and pathogens, everything you need to produce the highest quality crop to date. If you're trying to keep spider mites at bay, check out the Spidex Vital. If you're trying to get rid of aphids, if you're trying to get rid of aphids, check out the Affy Parm. They've got everything. They've got all the predators to keep your garden happy and healthy. Copet Biological Systems, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Further, check out our buddies at Pulse Sensors for the number one sensor on the market, ensuring that a whole bunch of parameters you may not even think about are still in check so that your crop is the best to date. If you want bigger yields, more resin, check out Pulse Sensors. From a tent to a single room to a multi-state operation. Get serious, get a Pulse. And last but not least, our good friends at the Patreon gang. We love you so much. Truly the lifeblood of the show. If you want to get early access to upcoming episodes, unheard exclusive interviews, and genetic giveaways twice a month, check out the Patreon www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast we appreciate you so much guys thank you patreon gang so for this episode we're joined by both umami and harry from umami seed co the turp hype powerhouse here to talk all about their upcoming drops some plans for the future and some thoughts on the industry so without further delay let's get into it Alrighty, gang, we're back for another one. And on this episode, I'm grateful to be joined in person by the dynamic duo behind the exotic turp powerhouse that is Umami Seed Co. A huge welcome to both Umami and Harry for joining us today. Thanks, G. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you having us on. Good to be here. Thanks again so much for joining me. So, what are you smoking on today? Man, right now, we're getting into some of, the, uh, some of these new flavors, but... I mean, I'm most excited about the, well, I don't know, Harry, what do you like most? I mean, I like, out of this whole batch, I like Samurai Tears. Uh, yeah, I think the Samurai Tears, that's the most potent of all of them. Um, that's the Cold Heat by Swish. So it's got Runts, it's got Triangle F2, and then we cross that to our kind of hash plant pheno. That's kind of our washer. So, yeah, this, it's strong, but really tasty, so. Incredible. I'm trying to bring gas back. You know, we've had a lot of fruity flavors, a lot of funky flavors, and now kind of want to go back into some of the OGs, some of the Kushes, some of the Chems, you know, create interesting mixes between sort of the new, the new fruit flavors and some of the old funk and find something, you know, just keep it interesting. That's really cool. I love the uh, the old school meets the new school sort of approach. I noticed uh, on your Instagram you had a few uh, label tags of some different strains, and there were a few different OGs in the mix there. Given you just mentioned that, what's your favorite OG cut? Oh man, the favorite OG, I mean, probably the Lumpus Headband, right? The the underdog. 
right? The diesel. That's, that was one of the first ones that I grew by myself that absolutely smashed. And I was like mm -hmm. really proud to show people that bag, you know? Cause like OG was always tricky to grow, mm -hmm. right? I had a homie who was up in Chatsworth who taught us how to grow SFV. And like at that time we were feeding, I mean, we fed it fucking cool bloom and cow mag. You know, like nothing but cow. Nothing but cow. I mean, the thing just <laughs> ate cow, man. That was the secret, right? I remember, like, Loom. I was like talking to someone, and like Loompa, like overheard me talk talking about cow mag, and he was like, "Bro, don't give out the fucking secrets." You know, like that's that's the magic. <laughs> that's how we crush OGs because everyone else would grow OG and they'd yield nothing. You know, pound a light, pound and a half. These thin little twiggy plants. It was so fire, but you couldn't get to like pack on weight. And then the yeah. first time we started pulling like two pounds of light like you know 2.2 with you know straight og cuts like that was that was when we were really excited about it but the headband skywalker tk hardcore the hardcore which i mean now i'm actually i hadn't grown the hardcore until recently i just got i like went and got all of my og cuts back and a bunch of other stuff so i can like re rework some of the flavors mm -hmm. but that hardcore i mean it doesn't look like all the classic ogs it's definitely a bag seed or a hybrid or something but that one has out of all the ogs it has the most unique twist right like a lot of them are really they taste almost identical they look almost identical you can see the little subtle differences but that one is like she's quite different yeah i noticed it's had like a bit of a resurgence i um i'm trying to remember i think it's nasha is a breeder who I'd seen do some hybrids with the the hardcore and it got me interested in it. Do you think you'll do any um, seed releases using the hardcore going forward? Yeah, 100%. As long as the crosses come out fire. You know, the only problem, I've washed hardcore in the past, which now, now that like solvent extract has kind of gone where it's gone, um, I'm really trying to focus on products that will grow like genetics that will grow well in flower form and then also will wash well right they have the right type of resin and everything else the hardcore i remember we washed it it got like less than one percent didn't melt mm. you know it was tough yeah. and i definitely wasn't as good at making hash back then as i am now like we didn't know anywhere near what we do now but you know that's definitely going to be some work to get something that's going to melt in a high enough mm. rate where it might be a cross of hardcore and then find a dope pheno and then cross that again with something else right that's got at least carries the flavor but then will give us you know the yields that we want yeah because i mean nowadays people are upset if it doesn't yield like four percent you know five percent in the bags and then press at 80 plus percent you know yeah the the market has certainly dictated some certain minimums around um you know returns and what's going to make it worthwhile out of curiosity i'm sure we're going to delve down the rabbit hole of concentrates and extracts quite a bit just to start off what's your what's your favorite type of extract you know are you like a dry sieve guy a bubble hash Where, what's your favorite thing i mean i'll probably get some flack for it but like bho applesauce yeah straight straight up you know i love rosin i love rosin but you know pour one out for all the monoterpenes that get lost in the water like you don't get the exact same profile and you know like some people would argue that that's better because some of those monoterpenes are you know they're not as good or they're this or they're that but like nothing captures the absolute essence like a butane propane blend super cold cold cured like i always hated diamonds and sauce because especially back before we were using like 
cold hot tech on nails, right? Where if you hit like a hot dab of like rocks and terps, the terps melt off the THCA first. Those are supposed to be dabbed at the lowest temperature, right? So it's exactly opposite, right? It's not, you know, the, the, the flavor profile gets totally screwed. But yeah, blend that up and make some applesauce like all, all day. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of like sort of, um, I don't know, mantras that exist in the States that don't escape it outside of the US. And so I guess like, um, you know, yeah, there are a lot of people who don't like BHO here. There's like a lot of people who don't like Jack Herra here and Trainwreck and all that and Blue Dream. Um, yet in the rest of the world, we haven't been so fortunate to have that exposure. And so I'm still like, man, fuck, give me that Jack Herra. Give me that BHO. I love it. Um, and I agree. I, some of the best dabs I've ever had were uh, BHO for sure. So that's really interesting to hear. Um, I wanted to ask, because you guys do breed for extracts and um, for terps specifically, just as a general recommendation, I always like to ask breeders this, if I don't give you any information about the buyer, because I know the answer is you want it, you're going to want to know more information, but I want to ask, if you can recommend one strain out of your catalogue, uh, and I guess by implication, I'm sort of saying like, what do you just think is a good all-rounder? Um, what would you recommend to someone if you don't know anything about their grow style, but you're just like, most people would be pretty happy at the end of the grow. What do you recommend? Um, for like a recent release, foam, probably. You know, foam smashes. It yields well. It's frosty. It's purple. Um, it'll do really well in, the, in a wash, both solvent and non-solvent. Stacks. It's easy to grow. You know, like in terms of just like grabbing some seeds and, you know, being able to throw down round one without really having to tweak anything too hard. Like she's just a fucking monster. All the phenos are just big and blocky and crush. And they all wash well because Swish, the the pheno that I reversed, that one washes at like four and a half, almost 5%, um, which I picked that plant because it's super iced out, purple, hella PM resistant, squatty, quick you know, flowering time, that one is done at 60 days, like done. You can go longer, but there's absolutely no point. You get no higher yield, the flavors, ultimately a lot of the flavors like start to mute out and change the longer you run them. Kind of like Skittles, if you're running like Skittles, long. yeah, bro. We pull Skittles at day 53. Yeah, 50, some people even. Like that's when you get the candy. Then the longer you go, the gassier it gets. It'll get ba- it, the bag appeal goes through the roof once you go like seventy days on Skittles. It'll be purple, like it totally changes. But the terps are just gone. Oh. And then the, I mean, it doesn't last long. By the time you've cured it, that flavor just starts to disappear every day. And there's no like, oh, I've got the Skittles and curing for like three months. It's amazing. You're like no, like it's you want it to look like lawn clippings. That's like straight <laughs> up. Because <laughs> it's getting rolled up or it's, you know, it's turned into hash. Like, you're not looking at it while you smoke it. Flavor over everything. That was my whole thing. I don't care about anything else. The whole ethos is flavor. So if I get lost or I'm like trying to figure out what we want to cross or wh- where are we going to go next, flavor. I don't care about anything else. Interesting. We'll, we'll delve into some sort of related questions a bit after. I just want to loop back quickly to the, the foam recommendation. What sort of um, terpene profiles would people sort of be thinking they might get out of that? So foam is, I mean, I described foam as like vanilla stripper perfume terps. 
when you say stripper, you mean like like a solvent sort of? No, I mean like a strip club. Okay, like, cool. I mean that like Britney Spears, vanilla, like really trashy, okay. fucking <laughs> cheap her, perfume. Her, like, cheap perfume. Mm. Like just if you walk by, you know, I've never been in a strip club. Wink, wink. Um, but like if you walk by and you can kind of imagine like what that smell mixed with like some sweat and like just kind of some grungy. It's also got like a little bit like the soap is more like cushy. Like the soap definitely doesn't really smell that much like soap. Um, but it's a little bit more like, I don't know, it just helps round out the sweetness and like kind of the upper notes that are more like perfumey. Because any flavor that's like too one dimensional, like, you know, for example, I'm not a huge fan of Jack or some of those hazes because it's just straight terpenaline. That's all I can smell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like that it's too one dimensional. I want to be able to smell multiple things, taste multiple things. You hit it at different temperatures. You can kind of change the flavor a little bit. Like it's a little more interactive, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can understand what you're saying. And an interesting trend that I've only just started to pay more attention to is that I've seen and heard a lot about in recent competitions that people are submitting like blends of extracts because it's trying to achieve what you're talking about, that more complex profile, sort of different um, sort of facets to the overall terpene profile. Do you think this is a trend we'll see continuing? Have you heard of this yourself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, which we started doing that. I mean, we'd always done it with like BHO, especially because we never had, you know, like, back in the trap days or early in the trap days, we didn't have any, anything, one flavor in bulk. Right. And that you, you always wanted to have a mixture of stuff. So usually in order to like do a, any sort of sizable run, it would have to be a mix. Um, the problem with a lot of those is like you lose, you know, it's not like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts in this case. It's usually just like, mm, this is kind of like a little, a few notes from this or a few notes from that, but it doesn't work well. Um, but sometimes like that GMO papaya, that filthy papaya blend, well, that's when you start to blend, especially like, like, I don't know what it is with solvent extracts, but like the non-solvent extracts is where the mixes start to shine, which we would see, especially when I was making water hash and bulk back in the day, some phenos wouldn't wash as well. Right. But if you took a pheno that washed well and mixed it with something that like didn't, you could actually start to make that wash like viable right yeah. to spend the time Keeps and energy the flavors and then you know you get like an interesting mix yeah um yeah. and then if you have a bunch of like sift or like you know water hash that's dry ready to get pressed mixing those in different ratios and kind of like finding what ratios work really well you can you know you have a, a whole new menu of flavors that are cool which would otherwise take you i mean a breeding project for me takes like well over a year so like mm. i could take these two things and press them three or four times over the course of an hour, and then we could taste all those flavors and find out what's a cool mix and what ratios work well, or we could spend a year and a half trying to create that flavor, like, naturally. Mm. But I, I like it, I think it's cool, you know? I think it brings in a lot of creativity, and you know, you can kind of like, invent your own flavor profile, and if you never tell anybody the exact ratio of what mm. you're doing, now you have sort of a proprietary recipe to make a cool flavor especially if you're making it with like two in-house cuts that no one else has, you know, mm. kind of sets yourself apart. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, a lot of people are having a focal discussion at the moment around how uh, people who've been in the game for a while, maybe we'll call them legacy farmers, who are feeling like they're being pushed out 
can reinvigorate their brand and stay relevant. That does sound like an interesting way to do it. Do you think that it's possible that um, that that someone could pursue that, or do you think you'd need to be a bit more inventive than just that and try to come up with a few different ways to sort of stay? I don't want to say relevant, but to to keep your niche from the bigger companies. I mean, I think there's so many different avenues for people in the space that there's no limits. You know, the only thing that matters is if people like what you're doing. So if, you know, if you can create an angle and enough people like you, you don't get to decide, I don't get to decide any of this. The market decides everything, what we make, what we release, what's popular, what cracks off. Like, I, it's not up to me. It's up to them. It's, you know, it's up to me to kind of read the room and try and figure out my best guess as to what people are going to be excited about. And I can help guide them one way or another. But ultimately, we make no decisions. You know, we're absolutely the mercy of what people want, when, and I just try to supply my best version of that, mm. I guess. So there's plenty of room for everybody. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, and if we take that premise in the other direction, with the advent of blends, the first thing I started thinking about is that surely one day we'll have like a Jack Daniels equivalent where it's like this company that can buy bulk distillate or whatever it is, bulk material, blend it to consistently put out this mass-produced sort of product that's like, you know, on the palate or the effect, it's sort of sim- consistent. Do you, do you think that's a, a foreseeable future or do you think there's too much variation in the cannabinoids to ever really be able to put out something super consistent on that level of production? No, I think the consistency will be there. And I think there's plenty of people that want that and seek that out. And that's fine. You know, like mm-hmm. people like, let people like stuff, you know, like they like Coors Light. Cool. You can have Coors Light. Mm-hmm. And then there's also plenty of like bougie, more exclusive, different flavors. Like, you know, if that, if that speaks to them or not, like they have the freedom to choose and, you know, try what they want. And if people want that, then like, great, that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, fills their, fills their needs. But usually those people, that's your step, like most of those people, well, I shouldn't say most, but there's a good enough percentage of those people where that's a stepping stone for them. And then they start to wonder what else is out there, what's different, what's unique. And then they start to come in, you know, like basically, you know, they mature as a consumer, right? And then they're like their flavor profile, like that they like starts to change. And then they start to open up into what's, what else is there, right? What other flavors might, might I find? And then, you know, me and plenty of other breeders are, you know, sitting there going, come on, like, we'll show you. <laughs> There's a lot of flavors, like every flavor you ever thought possible. That's a, that's a beautiful segue you've given me because I was going to ask you, you were talking about flavors and in the question before you were saying, you know, when I'm not sure what to do, I just, I revert back to flavor because that's, that's my whole thing. What flavor are you chasing next? What don't we have that you would like to make if possible? I'm trying to find flavors that I cannot describe with words and that I've never tasted before. That's like the goal of every breeding. For me, the goal of the breeding project is one, the crop, the hybrid has to be better than both parents. Otherwise, what's the point? And ideally, I'm trying to mix and match flavors that are going to create and generate something unique and different that can help set me apart where 
you know, people try that and they go, it's not like, oh, that's cushy or that's, you know, that's got, that's some Skittles or that's got this or that's got like, no, no, no. Like what the fuck was that? I've never smelled that smell before. There's not words that I know how to describe that smell. That's what I'm after. That's the whole like umami, right? Sweet, sour, salty, savory, umami. It's, it's not, it can't be described with any of the other ones. It's that sort of, un, you know, it's intangible. Mm-hmm. Like the, the blend of flavors creates something new and unique and different that you can't, you know, you can only describe as like, ooh, that's, it's almost a feeling. Yeah, truly. Well, you know, what's interesting is like um, research shows that feelings actually start as uh, as a physical sensation. So you don't feel anxious and then get tight. You feel that you're tight and then you're like, oh shit, I'm feeling anxious. And so it's exactly what you said. It's like it's a physical stimulus that then causes you to feel away. That's That's really cool. I like that. So tell me a little bit about what inspired the genesis of umami what was it that caused you to think you know i want to start this company well let's see i started growing in 2006 i always knew that i wanted to have a seed company i thought that was it anything like an early on in the cannabis game like it was either you were growing or you were making hash or you were making seeds i thought wouldn't it be cool to do to start from seeds and make your own product and make your own strains and then make your own hash, create something new and different and just having something to call, call your own. So uh, the, the plan was always to make a seed company. I mean, really, there wasn't, you know, I hadn't had enough time in the game to really start and put my name on something and be proud of what it could be. You know, I wasn't good enough at growing. I certainly wasn't, you know, good at breeding. I was, you know, I still don't really consider myself a breeder. Like we make seeds, we hunt seeds, we do the job, but the whole point was find something cool and unique and different. So I gamed up, I finally had the skills to the point, I had the library, you know, I'd collected seeds for a decade, you know, before that. And then the timing was right to start the company and launch. We did, and you know, it worked. Here we are. That's brilliant. Let me, let's go back a little bit then. We're going to do it in reverse order to what we normally do it. So then tell me your first cross you ever made. Was that intentional? Was it an accident? And what were the genetics involved? It was intentional. Um, I don't really know what it was. It was, there was a, a family vacation in Mexico and then somehow seeds ended up in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we popped those seeds. We grew them in my homie's backyard. You know, you spend that much time growing the plants and then you have a male and you're like, well, I mean, I'm not going to kill off the, the male. Like, come on, you know. <laughs> it's, I spent so much time and energy to get this thing to this point. Um, so it was just some like open pollination, whatever. And... Uh, and I was, I mean, I was hooked from the fucking, the first second those plants popped out of the soil. That was it for me. You know, I knew, I knew what I was going to be doing, but it was some Mexican, you know, sativa or something or other. Not good. Was that the first grow you ever did as well? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And then, so let's fast forward a bit. When you got more serious about growing, what was the first thing you started growing like, say under a light? So the first ones we were growing under a light were, let's see, was a Parawana 
was one of them. Oh, nice. Um, there was a Blue Cheese by Cali Brains. There was a, let's see what else we were doing back then. There was this one my buddy gave me called it Hyperion, which was some some hazy, you know, indica hybrid or something that was, it, it smelled and tasted kind of like coconut. It was funky. Like, and the hash tasted very much like coconut, which was unique. I've never stumbled upon anything even remotely similar to it ever, uh, you know, since then. But, so there's there's still some flavors that I'm looking for that I remember. Because I like to think I remember every single bag I ever smoked. Nice one. Good memory. Like, I just, you know, the, I, I remember what the flower looks like. I remember the flavor profile. I definitely remember a lot of them that I grew that sucked, you know, that were just no dice like you know and you're just like what did i do wrong and you know now looking back it's like hilariously apparent like just how fucking terrible you know i was at cultivation early on and like we just didn't know enough back then you know it's a lot of like bro science and don't do this don't do that and we we all do the same don't worry don't worry but so you're learning the ropes and you're you're starting to refine your craft were there any breeders or specific growers you sort of looked up to in those early days and were taking advice from? Uh, I mean, I always liked, so like Greenhouse Seed Co. dropped their like land race, you know, videos that they had, right, where they'd go to the bush and hunt. Um, and so like I, I was DMing Franco like way back when, and he was always super cool and friendly and like, you know, I'd ask him questions and like he was which he had no need to do any of that. Like, why well, I'm just some fuck off random dude on Instagram, like sending him DMs, like, you know, asking for advice or whatever. And he was always really cool and really friendly. Um, so yeah, definitely, uh, definitely Franco from from Greenhouse. Um, I mean, Mr. Nice was, you know, like it was a lot of the like old, the OG Dutch dudes, you know, who were like going hard, um, especially because like early on, you know, some of the things I started seeing was Mr. Nice out in Switzerland right running the old pillow play and they had just the biggest cultivations you'd ever seen at the time where you're like where on earth can you possibly do this you know this is at a scale that is just mind-boggling um so that was always really cool to see see some of those dudes and i always thought i'd end up somewhere in europe you know building a company because i was like well i don't see this happening in the states right a lot of the california dudes left you know the dna guys were out there because you know weren't really doing it in california um, and then luckily for me, you know, the rules in California started to shift where now we could actually get like, I mean, it wasn't a license by any means, but we were covered under, under medical. We had the 99 plant Rex, and, you know, we were in counties where we could grow, you know, at scale. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the first time we started running like big, well, not big, but bigger operations. Yeah, nice one. And so after you had uh, started the company, what was the first sort of project that you felt really helped establish your identity within the public eyes where even you yourself are like, man, we're like, we're really doing this. So my homies in Arizona, um, they own a company called Grow Science, which is a pretty big cultivation outfit out in, uh, in Phoenix. And they bought a bunch of my seeds for my very first drop ever which went, the first drop went pretty well, you know, all things considered. I was a brand new breeder, you know, like I had no, you know, there was really no legacy. I didn't like leverage any of my other companies or brands because I wanted the thing to stand on its own. What was the the mail or what was like the project? So that was a, the mail was Mac Mints. 
Um, and then I crossed that to pretty much everything. So that was a Thin Mint cookie crossed with a Mac mail that nice. I got. Yeah. So then I crossed that with, you know, the whole menu. Um, and then Gross Science had the Froyo. Oh, and eighth, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, I remember Cap posted a thing. And this was like back when they were doing drops at like Piece of Green. And he was oh, like, hey, nice. there's, you know, I'm doing a, a Thin Mint drop of flour. Go, you know go scoop the flour and there's also like some seeds in there so like you know a whole bunch of eighths were purchased and then ground up to find like six or seven seeds then i hunted those seeds then i found the mail and then that was kind of what kick-started it because it was a frosted ass like just big giant meaty monster mail i was like this is the one we start with you know hit up cap we're like is it cool if we breed with this he's like yeah you found it in the seeds yeah like and so i said those we went we went to work Wow, that's that's sick. So, you know, I guess fairly safe to say probably no one else really has a mail from that particular cross. No, no, certainly not. How, out of curiosity, how many eighths did you buy? Like a ton or just like a couple? 20 or 30 eighths. Wow, yeah. So most of them didn't even have one seed. No, no we found like six seeds total. There you go. That's good marketing from Cap. <laughs> yeah, no, it worked. It worked out well, you know. I like. I couldn't believe it, and like I said, I found that. And then I made F twos, and like I never released any of the Mac Mint stuff. Um, only only crosses, but they were uh, they were fire, you know. We did the lime souffle, which was a Mac Mint female. Um, mm. That one smashed. That one washes really well. Um, what was that female like in terms of like terpene profile and effect? It was like uh, I always describe the Mac Mints as like gelato. It, it's like heavy on the gelato, or right? it's very similar to gelato because um, it's got the Thin Mint cookie and it's got Max, so it's got Starfighter in it, but it's so it's pretty hashy. But it's definitely got this. I mean, I always describe it as like solventy, but like the the type, the exact type of solvent is like rubber cement. Hmm. So like if you you know, I don't I don't know if they still use that in school, but way back when you know you just like crack open that jar of rubber cement and you just get hit with this noxious fumes. So that was what I got. I got like chocolate and that super, super astringent, um, chemi, like sour, like, yeah, solvent funk. Mm. So that was, that was the, that was the turd profile. Nice. Yeah. Nice one. And so where did you go from there next? Oh man, let's see. What did we do after? So we did the Mac Mint drop and we did... Key Lime, right? And we did the Key Lime. That's right. Then, then I did, then I went to FEMS. Um, so I did the key limeade, which is the sunset sherb crossed to the burning bush cut of key lime pie. So that was a quick flowering, purple, super creamy, kind of soapy, a little Skittles esque. Um, but that, that, that fem run I hit to, I don't know, I think that menu was like 10 or 12 strains. Um, and that stuff is still sought after. Like people all yeah, the time. Yeah, 710 Labs runs a bunch of those. Yeah, 710 has a couple of those like on the menu. Um, I mean, a lot, like that was one of the first big fem runs that went, you know, really, really well. Especially because here in the States, like people don't like regs. At least like they, they, could, they could tolerate reg seeds back then. But, you know, like probably sell like 10, 10 or 20 to 1 fems to regs. So I really wanted to like go back and focus on um, fem seeds. Although when stuff is... When you find a really amazing male, it's just like, you can't do it the disservice of never, you know, making any seeds with it. So when I found Zucci and like Cantucci and some of the other ones, it was like, okay, obviously I'm going to do, we'll sprinkle drops 
of these in in there. That's nice. I wanted to touch on that specifically because I noted you do, as you mentioned, do both regular and firm seeds. Do you find yourself gravitating more towards one than the other just on a personal level? And as a follow-up, do you think there's merit to some of the age-old criticisms of fem seeds you hear? No. I think a lot of the I think a lot of the anti-feminized seed crowd is uh either just parroting a lot of, you know, this narrative that they've heard in the past that's not really rooted in in science. Um and, you know, to some degree, I think if you constantly if you go, you know, fem 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 down the line, I can see how it would make sense that the genetics could shift maybe in a way that's not like ideal because that is about as far from the natural order as you can get. So for me as a breeder, I'm always going to do like, I usually, I'll never cross two whatevers and just do the seed line. Like the, the pollen donor is something that I've made and worked like, or found like, you know, something unique to me, period. Um, but I'm never going to take like something that comes from a fem line and then fem that again. Like yeah, I'll take cross a it clone with only yeah. and then fem it and I, hit it to another clone only. I like to inject a male in there, like and I've got a couple males that I like that I work with, you know, that I've worked with for a long time. So I know exactly what they're gonna do, right? And like a, a good male, I mean one of my buddies always says a good male is literally priceless. Mm. Because, you know, you, I know I know what kind of phenos we're gonna find, I know what it's gonna do, I know what the progeny is gonna look like. So then we'll hit that to, you know, something that's cool, find a female in that generation, and then that can get reversed. But, like, mm. I'm not doing femme on femme on femme on femme. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I, we had a, an auto breeder on the show recently, Flying Lion Research. He's a cool dude. He's into Terps as well. And he, he said this analogy about autos, but it sort of applies to what you're talking about. He says it's like a zipper, like you sort of unzip it and then zip it back up. And when you're femme stuff, you're sort of closing it and zipping it up and hitting something else to it is like unzipping it and opening it and i sort of have been thinking about that analogy it, it, it's cool i wanted to um ask because it's a you may not have too much thoughts on it but we do talk about it from time to time on the show a lot of some some people still have some question marks around the lineage of skittles you know it's still there's there's obviously that you know grape ape grapefruit sort of thing that you hear but then there's still like a strong amount of people who believe that it's like maybe a sherbet s1 and the Phylos test said it was a Sherbet S1. And so that's like, I've never really been able to get my head around that because it's sort of, my gut instinct is like, it doesn't seem like a Sherbet S1 to me. But then you've got guys like Inspector from CSI Humboldt who just does like these big 100 seed pheno hunts of like Sherbet S1s and he reckons he finds plants similar to Skittles in there. What's your thoughts on the lineage of Skittles? I mean, the turf profile is very similar, right? They're... They're at the very least in the same neighborhood, if not on the same street, right? Um, the structure, wildly different, mm. like wildly different. I've grown, I've grown both. I, I have both. Um, I've grown a lot of Sherbert hybrids. I've grown a lot of Skittles hybrids. I've not seen as much crossover as I would have thought. Mm -hmm. um, just the structure is so different. And like everything you cross Skittles to, I can almost immediately identify whether or not it has skittles in it because of the leaf structure because of the stack the, the the stem structure like it's it sticks out like a sore thumb at least you know to my eye but with sherb crosses i don't see that as much so i mean could they be related absolutely are they probably but what are the actual genetics 
who the fuck knows I agree some things we'll, we'll probably never actually find out so while we're talking about Skittles I noticed on the website you have an array of interesting mothers uh, many of them incorporating Skittles it got me wondering what's your process like of acquiring mothers do you have like if I had to guess I'd say you must have these like vast networks where you can get new and emerging clones or have I got something wrong what's your process you seem like you got new stuff all the time yeah no there is a there's a vast network um you know like-minded people who are always chasing like the newest flavors and you know I've been fortunate enough to be in space for long enough to have you know friendships with you know a lot of legacy dudes who a lot of them are like just as excited about getting them to me as I am about getting them because they're like hey I got this new one like what are you going to do with it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot of those genetics, like, I, luckily, I don't have to go looking for them so much as, like, they find me, which also helps me to know, like, okay, this is clearly something people are interested in, so this might be worth a look, right? Yeah, and what sort of things impress you about a plant in terms of if you're thinking about maybe breeding with it, is it mostly about like the flavor profile and structure presented in front of you or do you want to breed with it a few times and sort of see how it breeds? Like what, what, what are your considerations in general? I mean, the number one thing is flavor as always. So all the, any new cuts that show up, they get run, you know, at least once or twice to kind of pre-vet whether or not this is something I'm even interested in, you know, goofing around with. Because some of them, you know, they have a bunch of hype somehow and you know i grow them out it's like no like for whatever reason you know and it, it might not necessarily be because sometimes the flavor can be really good but it's not worth some of the grow characteristics right like skittles is i mean it's a unique strain because it sucks to grow it is the, the worst plant in the world it grows so slowly you basically just don't water it at all and somehow it lives. You Veg know? it twice as long, five times more. as long. Yeah, you know, and like people it's wonder. Smoky always does. Never joke. done a like an exact. I've never, I've never released a Skittles cross, like direct Skittles cross, and I probably won't because one, a ton of the progeny are gonna grow like Skittles does, and people, you know, don't love that style of grow because it's difficult and they get yield low and they take forever. But um, you know, hybrids of it. You're able to kind of bring in some of that, like, I like I like the turf profile that it brings on, you know, especially with the crosses. Like, it's a little creamy, and it just helps, like, round out some of the other, like, more harsh, intense flavors, where also some of those harsh, intense flavors are too one-dimensional for me, where you're wanting something else, you know, either on the exhale or on the back end or, like, something else to just kind of, like, you know, make it a little bit more, well, I mean, to make it a little more palatable. You know, to be entirely honest. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And I uh, just sort of looping back to that point you made about growing stuff out and thinking, God, how did this get big? If I had to hazard a guess based on your Instagram, I see a fair few memes about Oreos. Was that one that maybe fit into that category for you guys? Uh, I, I mean, you know, it's just when a ton of people are super excited about something that I don't really find that special or unique at all. I think it's kind of fun to poke a little fun at Oreos. Um, structurally, I mean, it looks visually it's peeling, right? But it has, and I mean, I was really surprised to learn that it actually washed pretty well, but 
there's no flavor you know so for me if i ever found a pheno like that or you know i got i had access to the oreos cut but i would never breed with it just because it has it's the antithesis of flavor you know and there's plenty of people who argue like oh it's got a lot of flavor you just haven't had a good batch yet and like i've tried a fair few uh from dudes that you know i consider to be some of the top growers in existence and it was good but it was not special you know, and life's too short to smoke something that's just good. I want, I want something that's cool. I want to remember that experience. <laughs> I feel you. That's a good one. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from a past guest on the show, show Skunk VA. <laughs> I've only got so many lung breaths in this lifetime. I'm not going to waste. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I was interested to ask because a lot of your menu comprises these really sort of cutting edge new genetics that like most people maybe aren't even familiar with yet and um i was wondering do you have any soft spots in your heart for some like maybe unique old world flavors like for example you know you mentioned you're not a fan of jack Herra, all good um you know are, are there any other things because i noticed you did um uh, some collab hybrids where one of the parents in the mail was soma's lavender and i was like oh that's that's a bit old world that's kind of cool are there any other old world flavors you're like that's actually a pretty good one um yeah i mean i like so the the affinity that a lot of the people that came up before me like probably five ten years before me have for haze right i don't have that because i didn't like i missed it but i have that for og and Cushes. Mm -hmm. And so when I got, when I like dived down deep onto the cushions, I got more into like some of the Afghan stuff and, you know, some of the, um, like, you know, stuff from the Middle East ultimately. And so yeah, Ghani, like, especially those like really hashy, like, you know, coffee, funky, like land race. I mean the, the black, right? Like, uh, the black haze or not the black haze. It's, um, Cuban black haze. No, 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 no. Black. Domino? Black Afghan. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gee, the Black so Afghan. Yeah, the Black Affy is like... Because yeah. the fruity Affies, I was like, eh, they're, they're good, but they're, they're a little... Not that coffee one. Yeah, I like the like really deep, hardcore, subtle flavors where you're like, you know, most people are only going to smell one thing, mm -hmm. which like maybe that's <laughs> how the haze aficionados are. They can actually smell all the different dimensions of that. I don't... Either I can't or I don't have that ability, but I can with some of the like lower end stuff. And I mean, like, not lower-end quality. I mean, lower-end on the flavor and, like, you know, those really earthy chocolate, coffee, funky flavors where you're just, like, well, I don't know. Like, it's hard to describe because you start getting into, like, every time you smell it, you smell something different. You start to pick up different notes. And as you smell more things in the world, you start to have, like, a better reference of, like, you know, smells, which is why I describe things the way that I do because those are... Those are things I've smelled, and that's, you know, your scent memory. Like, that's what I pick up. That's cool. While we're talking about smells, you and Harry were kind enough to bring some nice little jars for me to sniff on today. Let's talk about these for a little bit. So is this the, the current release, the next release? When can everyone expect to be able to get their hands on the next drop? And then after we talk about it a bit, I'll, um, we can talk a little bit about the smells. So I think probably January is where we're going to start dropping, dropping some of these. We've got, I mean, there's a lot slotted for release. Um, what we try and do is select the best, you know, just the ones that are like the most fun and cool and relevant for that, for that Friday. 
right? We normally do, we'll do a series, we'll do a drop every Friday or every other Friday for, you know, four Fridays or six Fridays. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, plan a couple weeks and then we'll do some other drops, but like, we want to keep it like fun, keep it fresh and then make sure that, you know, I mean, best case scenario is where the drops actually sell out like day one or in the first week, which is fun, especially for the buyers, because now you've got something that no one else has. And there's only, I mean, I only do one batch. There's only like one big drop. And then once all the seeds are gone, they're, they're gone. So do you ever remake stuff or it's all one time? Never remake anything. Nice. Okay. Yeah. One big batch, which could have, you know, however many hundreds of packs. Sometimes it's small. I mean, some, some of the crosses, like they don't, they don't make many packs. They don't make many seeds. You know, we have have drops as little as like 10, 15, 20 packs. And those sell out really, really quickly, which is great. But you know, then they're gone, just kind of sad. And I've decided to not remake stuff because there's not enough time to go back to something. There's so much more to like dive in and discover. I'd rather keep looking for something else, something cool, something unique. Yeah, that's interesting. It raises this point of like, do you think the market would actually allow you to, let's just say you you were testing some seeds you made and you find this plant in it that's like the equivalent of Skittles before Skittles. Like it was like, wow, this is totally different. And you were like, we've got to breed this into a pure line. Do you think the market sort of allows breeders to do that sort of project where it like takes longer or do you think it's just too fast paced? Like you're just going to be left behind if you tried to like do a, like a, a pure line sort of project? I think there's a lot of breeders that have stuff like that on their menu and they have, you know, they found tried and true varieties that people like and they'll keep making those and remaking them and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that especially if they find something cool and they really want to focus on, on that. Um, that's great. But there's enough people who are doing that. You know, I would rather continue the exploration to find something new, something different, something better. Mm. You know, that, that's what makes me, that's what makes it interesting for me. You know, if I just had to grow the same thing over and over again, it'd just end up like a job. You know, it's the reason I like walked out of my sales job way back when. You know, I was doing this and I was doing that. And one day I was like, fuck this, you know, I'm out. And I moved up into the woods. That was that. That's great. I love it. All right. So let's talk about this. The first one we got, uh, the bathhouse. Now I did want to ask you about this. Obviously has the bath water in it, which is a very unique name and description. Obviously, an homage to the uh, infamous Belle Delphine Gamma Girl bathwater. But I was wondering, what's the terps on that one? What's bathwater smell like? I mean, it's a hard one to, to like describe what the smell is of bathwater. It's definitely like gassy and funky, but like, I mean, you know, imagine what Del, you know, whatever her name is. Um, imagine what her dirty bathwater might smell like, <laughs> like that's, that'll get you close enough, you know, cause it is gassy, it is cushy, it's creamy, but it's definitely, it's got this weird, like soapy, like kind of, you know, not the GMO BO, like it's more of like a sweaty, like gross shirt, you know, like, I don't like a, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to describe, like not quite hockey bag. Like, I don't know if anyone's played hockey, but those bags have a unique ripeness to them after uh, a couple <laughs> weeks. 
Nice one. I love it. I mean, it got me wondering in general, what what are some of like the more weirdest smells you've come across while pheno hunting? The fizz. Um, the fizz. Yeah. Fizz is one of my favorites. Um, the Oddly enough, the compound apples and bananas kind of smells a little bit like the fizz does. Um, but the fizz is the loudest grape chemical... I mean, it's, it's fizzy. It's acidic. It's like, you know the feeling you get when you like put your mouth into a soda cup it's too fizzy and a bunch of the fizz goes up your nose like that's how it makes you feel when you smell it it's like really like it leaps out of the jar and then it would it it will stain anything you put in it like any jar that you if you mix up like a couple buds in a jar like they're all going to taste like fizz like forever the jar is going to smell like fizz forever and like you can crack a jar like a year plus later and it still reeks there's very few flavors that actually hold on to that kind of a, a smell. And that doesn't like, cause usually those kind of intense jumpy ones will mute out relatively quickly. But this one is just, I mean, it, it seems like it will stay forever. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Like, uh, one of those ones that just, yeah, overpowers everything, but not, not tangy, something different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's too bad. I've tried to fem it twice and, out of like, I mean, the the run we did, how many seeds did we get in that bag in total out of that whole run? Oh, 50? 50 seeds. All pretty wow. From like 10 different varieties. Huh. Some some had none seeds, some had one, some had like four. Yeah, it was, it was like four lights worth and, and there was, were like 10 seeds. It was, oh, it sucks so bad. It's yeah. like that maybe the pollen just didn't. Some cool. yeah. things just don't fem well. It's just yeah, it's really like, hard to fem certain varieties for whatever reason. It's it just so, doesn't work sometimes. It's true. And we got a lot of theories about why, but it's like, I don't. I've I've had plenty of fem runs absolutely flop, and you know you're like excited about something, and then you're like you said, it takes about a year at least from when you're like cool. Here's what we're gonna work on to the point where it's actually ready to release. Mm-hmm. Maybe a year and a half. Um, so yeah, when a, when a run fails, you know you're immediately three to six months behind that again. Meanwhile, everyone else is crossing, because it's not like the net, I'm not like the only person in the network, right? It's the network. So a lot of my friends' competition, who's like, I mean, technically we're competition, but like, I like, you know, I like everybody. Um, they're all working on their shit too at the same time. So it's kind of like, who's gonna get, you know, mm. who's gonna get there first with something that's actually like solid? Because anyone could just make a cross and like just fem something and drop it and whatever. That's that's cool and that's fine, but. Who's going to like bring something to the table that's actually like different and special and unique? Well, yeah, I mean, you're sort of getting towards this topic I was hoping we could touch on, which is that there are a number of uh, growers and smokers in the community who feel like, in a sense, we're sort of backing ourselves up against a wall in regards to the genetics we use. Do you, what's your thoughts on this take? Do you think it's true? To some degree, sure. You know, um, I think part of that opinion is a very narrow view of everyone in the cannabis space who's breeding for making seeds in any capacity where they're like, yeah, you're looking at a small subset of that entire population that is absolutely doing tons and tons of polyhybrids and all this other stuff. But that's because that's what people want, right? Like I said, there's a lot of... We don't get to make the decisions. Like, if you want to have a business that actually, like, works and pays for itself, 
and hopefully like keeps gas in your car and like gets your made to be and lets you keep doing the thing, you have to sell seeds, right? And like, mm-hmm. so if that's what buyers are wanting, then, you know, a lot of people, you kind of have to run down that, that line or at least like close enough where you're still going to be around. But there's a lot of people who aren't in the like standard breeder, you know, like when they think of cannabis breeders, there's a lot of people who are not in that space publicly at all, who are doing all kinds of other work. So I think in terms of like the global genetics, like there's no issue. Mm. But if, you know, like a small network of growers is growing the same thing and hybridizing the same thing, like, yeah, their gene pool might not be that great. And then growing it with the same nutrients under the same lights, same media, having yeah. all the environment the same, wondering why the pound price is going down. That might be a slight problem. But, you know, I still have a ton of land race stuff that I've, I mean, I, I don't know how many fridges I have full of seeds now, but it's a, quite a few because we've just been collecting genetics from everywhere always and trading and trying to find, you know, new and unique stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, luckily we're, I'm upgrading now. Um, I'm going to have a, a small 7,000 square foot spot for hunting and popping like it just straight old school. Like I'm going to germinate everything in my library and try and find some cool, mm-hmm. cool old stuff. Cause a lot of it is getting to the tail end of it's like survivability, mm. you know, those haven't been stored well, at least I don't know how they were stored before I got them. So, you know, the germination rate on a lot of this stuff might not be very good, if at all. So mm. it's kind of time to start, you know, hunting those seeds. And if we find something cool, open pollinate, make bigger population, you know, preserve mm. all that stuff. But it's not going anywhere. Yeah, that's cool. Would we ever see, like, any cool F1 hybrids, with like modern versus, like, maybe Landrace or Heirloom or something oh, like that? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely in the plan. That's really cool. Probably not until 2024, 25, realistically. Mm-hmm. It's going to take It's going to take time. Yeah, sure. You know. And then, so I guess just the sort of final question on this discussion point, people have this comment that they'll say everything like sort of feels the same. Do you, do you think there's merit to that or do you think there's still like quite a bit of diversity within the sort of range of effects you can get from the, the current varieties that are really popular? I'm not the best person to ask on effect because, listen, for me, it's flavor is the number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the older I get, the busier, you know, it's like there's a lot of stuff I would like to smoke, but I, you know, it's not something I can do in the day and still get, you know, get everything done. Yeah. Um, but no, I feel like there's a still a very wide variety in effect um, from a lot of different flavors. And sometimes I get bummed out when a flavor is like really good, but it affects me like, which is just my body chemistry or whatever affects me in a way that I'm like, well, this, I really want to smoke more of this, but I physically can't, you yeah. know? And then there's other flavors that are like, I could smoke this all day, but I don't really want to. It's not that great. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So, I mean, sort of on the other side of, that topic are there any varieties you think that you would like to use maybe from your library stash maybe from other sources that you think would inject some sort of fresh blood or reinvigorate things a little just because they're a bit different um yeah like i said i'm i'm trying to pop a lot of uh, a lot of this land race stuff what, what do you got you got like some cool malawis i've stuff. got a lot of stuff from africa a lot of stuff from afghanistan um we, I've got the a Japan. bunch of stuff from Nepal. Yeah, I did 
recently get some land race from Japan. Nice one. It's apparently, I've got to grow it out and like, you know, I, I promised the dude I would grow it out and do an open pollination and make more of the genetics. Um, Cause there was a, it, there's a lot of hemp in Japan. Yeah. But there's not a lot of like wild yeah. drug cannabis. And I mean, for a lot of people would say there absolutely is not. Yeah, my homie has been has spent a lot of time in Japan, um, and he his buddy lives. I can't remember where exactly they were saying they live, but uh, there are there's a drug type of wild cannabis in Hokkaido, which is the northernmost island of Japan, uh, and they were. I can't remember how many, what did he say? Like it was like a three day hike yeah, something, or something. something Some, like, that. It, like this was like bushwhacking to get out to these like wild fields. Um, and they would, you know, the homeboy would always collect as much as he could shove in his bag and then bring it back. And then when people would go and, you know, hang out or whatever, he'd always have this like wild herb that they would smoke. And that was, you know, this crazy Japanese sativa or some sort of hybrid who even knows what it is and there'd be snow on the ground and the plants would still be alive still be alive when you get there to harvest them still be alive in the snow um so full of seeds apparently the bricks content was through the roof so <laughs> there was somehow they didn't freeze right my theory is always if the because i've got some varieties that like bleed red Mm -hmm. And, you know, having high levels of anthocyanin and bricks in there, you know, the, the theoretically acts like an antifreeze. Mm -hmm. So the cells won't actually burst mm -hmm. that quickly. Uh, so some of those could well survive like frost and freezing, which is pretty, mm -hmm. is very uncommon because most plants, if you freeze them, like you can put clones in the fridge for a surprisingly long time. But if you put them in the freezer, the cells burst and they die. Mm. You can cryo-freeze plants though. Interesting. I did want to talk about that. So like, you know, tissue culturing and uh, germ cell utilization is on the rise within cannabis. Do you foresee a time when that may surpass like the demand for seeds? Possibly. I think the, I've never actually done the synthetic seeds. I've seen, you know, it's not very common that people make them and the, the cost is probably prohibitive for most people, especially now maybe in the future that'll become more more common as long as it's relatively simple for the layman or just a grower to go from that step to actually having like a plant that's growing in a pot because the the amount of, like you have to know exactly what you're doing to pull a rooted clone out of tissue culture and mm -hmm. actually get it to survive early mm -hmm. on and that's that's not that's not common knowledge and I would guess like 95% of even, you know, growers would mess that up to the point where it just doesn't make any sense to spend any extra amount of money on something that's like, yeah, it's definitely better in terms of plant health, sterility, mm. right? No bugs, no this, no that. But it just, yeah, the, the level of knowledge needs to be, you know, at the next step, next stage, which is, it's very reasonable we get there in the next 5, 10, 15 years, you know, even the, like, the lowest, you know, the, even the newest employee in any space would probably have some of that knowledge if it becomes more, you know, it just becomes more and more commonplace. Yeah. And then it's just, yeah, duh. Like, everyone knows how to cut clones. It's not, you know, you could look it up in five minutes and there'll be a simple enough explanation. But right now for tissue culture, that, that does not exist. Yeah, sure. And while we're on the topic of, dirty clones and pathogens and whatnot 
on a on a personal note for you guys, have you had much issue with hoplite and virus? Have you had to clean house, or have you guys been able to get through relatively unscathed? Uh, we've been very fortunate. Yeah, we do test a lot. Um, the entire mother stock gets tested. I mean, it used to be every two weeks, but now it's pretty much once a month, which I mean, it just kind of got expensive to do it every two weeks, uh, to be quite honest. But we do work with a lab uh, in Utah that's really, really good, and they test for hoplaton, leptospirosis, and a couple of the other ones. But yeah, we've I've never actually seen it in any of my facilities, which is very, very lucky. It's kind of a nightmare. Um, not kind of a nightmare. It is a nightmare, and it's it, it's put a lot of people out of business. Quite frankly, mm. you know, it's tough. It's not. We're also really careful about it. Our scissors are always sitting in hypochlorous acid all the time. We have hypochlorous acid in a spray bottle that gets sprayed on everything. Tools get autoclaved. The we clean everything with chlorine. Like alcohol doesn't kill it. Chlorine's the only thing that kills it. Yeah, heat doesn't kill it. Um, but yeah, we're very, very careful. And my quarantine process, like when, you know, say we have the network to get stuff in, part of the delay is that it takes me like three plus months to get a cut out of my quarantine into the main area where it can then go on and, you know, enter like any of the breeding programs. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it takes quite some time and I'm hoping to speed that up uh, because now I've gotten like, per I mean, I do all of my tissue cultures in house, like we do everything ourselves. Uh, and we're slowly getting back to the point where I feel confident enough that we can just, you know, throw everything into TC as long as it comes back with a clean lab test, like for pathogens, then, then we're good to go. So we'll probably shorten that down to... Yeah, nice, streamlining things. And while we're on the topic, what style of growing do you guys lean towards more? Are you salt guys, organic, what sort of medium you prefer? Give us the lowdown. I run, it's a blend. Um, organic and synthetic hybrid has always been, you know, cool. I always think the best of both worlds. Grow everything in rock wool. It's easy, simple. I always make the, it's a dumb joke, but like you can't spill a rock wool cube. <laughs> you know, I started in the soil, like most people, I, I ran cocoa. Uh, and then once I started growing in, in rock wool, it was just, it made more sense. It was easier. It was quicker. I don't want to spend a ton of time worrying about the pots or the soil or the this or the that, you know, cleaning up messes. Like I want to be able to focus on the plant itself or like, you know, some of the other aspects. But so, still keeping that <laughs> organic element and bringing it into rock wool. Yeah. You know? And I still maintain some of the best weed me or anyone ever smoked was OG Kush grown in the grossest rock wool you have ever seen because it was filled with all kinds of organic crap and this and that and salts. And for some reason, like that's, that's the magic. So <laughs> we run, it's a product called exotic ag. It's a salt based, um, product. It's got a bunch of different biostimulants as well. And then my homie, uh, Jasper has this company more and they do, it's a, like a archaea bacteria, so it's kind of like, I mean, it's like any beneficial, but it's found in um, what's it found? It's found in tar pits. It's like yeah, the, like, it's like, like volcanoes. It's not actually a bacteria. It's you know, so like there's yeah, it's, it's, it's called archaea, which is like you it's know, like early on, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, like, exactly. It's pre it's pre bacteria, um, and it can survive like ninety eight degrees C and like two pH, and so it's like it's just fucking. <laughs> 
Shit's bulletproof. Shit's yeah. It'll keel it. Yeah. UV is the only thing that kills it. So it doesn't take over the planet. <laughs> but it, yeah, it eats, it eats the algae off the rock wool. So it keeps the rock wool clean, keeps the lines clean. It's gangbusters. Just yeah, chelates everything. But yeah, the flavor, the flavor on the blended organic and synthetic is the only, like that's the win period. You know, just straight, straight salt grown is, mm. it's still good for the first like five days, but I don't know what it is about the shelf life, but it just drops. And some stuff will, will hold longer than others, but I've never had a run without, you know, some sort of biostimulants that was amazing and still tasted good, you know, weeks after you'd chopped it down. Yeah, nice one. And look, crop steering is like the trendiest word in the industry at the moment. What's your thoughts on it? Do you think it's just going to become like super commonplace? And if you're not doing that particular style of production, you just like sort of get pushed out of the market? Um, to some degree. Yeah. Like it's, it's scientifically sound. It's, it's highly functional, keeps the root zone in the right conditions, keeps the moisture in the right conditions. It keeps the EC in the right conditions. It, you know, it saves a ton of water. It makes, I, I do it with everything. It makes the most sense. Like it's, you know, I mean, cannabis, a lot of cannabis people like to think that cannabis is super unique and special and no commercial ag, you know, has any relevance to it because it's its own thing. But like that's you know I think that's a little naive. Like there's a lot to learn from large commercial operators, and if that if if it's functional and it works well, then it's great. You, people can overdo it, like anything. Yeah, look, I noticed that you guys offer consulting services on your website, so I wanted to ask you, what some of the things that you think people commonly get wrong? People overwater their plants. Um, people to feed their plants too high EC. Their light is too low. Their environment is off. I mean, it's, you know, like you can look at a room and diagnose five things that are wrong, like in one and a half seconds, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it's very obvious. And a lot of people, they just don't, they don't realize that all of these things need to work at, there's certain proportions, I guess you would say, that everything has to be at a certain level. And if you change one, then the others need to be adjusted for that. You can't just change one thing and have everything else work well. Like it all works off of itself and off mm -hmm. the other things. So like if you have too much light, your plants need more fertilizer because they can't eat the light well enough because they don't have enough nutrients, but then they also need CO2, right? It's just, it's balancing act. Yeah. It's the interplay of them all together. Yeah. One thing is out of whack, you know, it's like a, um, what it's some gear in the cogs. What's that phrase? Like a spanner in the engine sort of thing. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's a kink. It's like a race yeah. car. The faster you drive, the higher chance something could go wrong, but the higher performance you could possibly have. You know, there's but, plenty of people who don't do anything crazy and they come out with great crops driving nice and slow in a Honda Civic. But if you want, you can really crank up all those parameters and get in a race car. It's just chance you're going to crash. And at the end of the day, there's only so much carbon to go around, right? So you want to grow the biggest, frostiest, terpiest, like pick two. You know, like you can't, you can't have it all. And what, what sort of an increase did you personally see when you switched to this style of production? Like how dramatic was the improvements? I mean, a, a lot, like laughably so. I mean, we've started <laughs> to see yields that, I mean, I wouldn't believe it if I didn't, if we didn't have to legally like put those numbers into metric, you know, <laughs> like no one's, no one's inflating their numbers into metric, if you know what I mean, right? So yeah. when you start running some of these and you're like, Okay, we're casually getting 
75, 80, like 90 grams a square foot on these plants. And we used to do the pounds per light math way back when, and we're like a, we're in like the five pound range now, which is just absurd. On a five by five. Yeah, 25 square feet, which is back, at least when I was running DEs or HPS, everything was on a five by five. We didn't do four by fours until we started getting into LED. Well, yeah, that was going to be my next question was that, have you guys swapped to LED yet? And I suspect the answer is yes. So the follow-up question is, what do you think about the people who are discussing and saying like, oh, it's not good, I'm going to swap back. Do you think they need to dial it in more or do you think that the older lights may have something over the newer ones? The older spectrums, well, there's, there's kind of two schools of thought. Uh, a lot of people are under the impression that some of the older lights had more or a different spectrum that contributed to different flavors, higher yield, this, that, the other. Um, so it, it very well could be that the LED technology has not caught up or has not found and mimicked the best spectrum just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the possibility that, so epigenetics is, a, you know, a thing in, in plants where if they're grown under a certain environment or they exhibit a certain stressor, they can change a little bit where ultimately a, a one pheno could suffer, you know, a shift and then it will express itself differently moving forward and forever. Basically one gene turns off and another one turns on. So it's also quite possible that some of these varieties that were grown under that started to adopt more to that spectrum like some of the older strains versus some of the older OGs where, you know, you throwing them under a new light, they're not going to perform as well because they've become accustomed to this light having been under it for, I mean, hell, 20, 30 years. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I think we haven't really explored that epigenetic aspect, have we? And you get a lot of anecdotal experiences from growers and breeders in the community who say, you know, vegging a plant outdoors for a season, pulling it in before flower can sort of revitalize it. So, I mean, it, it's there is anecdotal evidence out there of people th- saying that you can revitalize. And I think every grower can uh, relate some anecdotal experience to a plant that's deteriorated in some less than ideal conditions they may have come across themselves. I wanted to know, though, in terms of your room, right? Let's just say you've dialed in all the aspects and on paper, everything's like dialed in. Where, where would you, what sort of things do you think help differentiate producers at that point? Because obviously it's not all homogenous. You know, you still get variation from grower to grower. Um, what sort of aspects do you think come into play at that point? Is it, is it down to like the type of LED spectrum versus the, the other guy's LED spectrum? Or do you think there's tiny differences we may not pick up on i think the magic is you like for i i have a basic template right that i use for pretty much everything and the point of the template is not to exclusively use the template but when you're running different varieties it's to identify what changes in the template need to be made so that you can grow this plant to the best of its possible you know it's best it's best potential right so some are going to need a little more food and a little more light, or some need a little less, and you know, some are going to need to be watered less. And it, you know, there's, it's not. It's easy to write, like the crop steering recipe. Right? It's easy to write that down and say this is what you should do. But if you follow that exactly the way that it's written, 
the chances of you finding a ton of success are, are you know, not super high. It's going to need to be tweaked a little mm. bit. So the best growers are the ones who know what to do, know why what they do works. They don't do redundant things. Like, that's really common. You see people use, especially like with fertilizer and nutrients, they use like the same, like two different bottles that have the same active ingredient, like the same thing. And you're like, what, what are you doing? Like, what is, why, why are you doing this? Like, yeah. you know this is the same, right? And I'm like, what, what? And like, yeah, look. So people who have, who know exactly what they're doing, know why they're doing it, and can actually make one change at a time and see the adjustment. Because if you change, like if you run the same experiment more than once and you want to make a shift, you have to only change one parameter. Because if you change more than one, you don't know which one of those things it was. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to do experiments on living plants because no two runs are like exactly the same. Mm. It's definitely it's definitely something where it's hard. I've tried to explain this, Bill. It's hard to do side by sides with plants because you have to do them in your same facility. Like even if we both took a clone from a plant today and took them to our respective locations and went from there, like you're getting all this environmental change. It's so um, even if you do them in the same room and you have two tables that are side by side, it's not really a side by side because yeah. the 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 airflow's different. The airflow's different. Yeah. So you know, like there's just it's literally impossible to have it be an exact one-to-one match. Mm. All these variables do make a meaningful impact on the plant long-term, doesn't it? Yeah. So you have to do it at a scale that's big enough to actually take like an average. Mm. That's kind of the only way that makes sense, right? That's as close as you're ever going to get is where you've done. Because if you're only doing a few plants here or there, like you don't have enough variation. So you just, how do you minimize the variation? Well, have like enough of a population that you can take, you know, your average and see if they're different enough. And if they're not, then, you know, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. Whether it is or it isn't is, you know, that, that's the only thing that's relevant. Nice, nice. Well, let's get off the, um, the growing segment for a second and let's take a sniff of these jars. We, I mentioned it earlier and then we just totally moved on. So let's start with the bathhouse. I'm going to take a big huff of this. I get a lot of old school OG. And by that, I mean not like TK but like maybe more like ghost or something. It's got more earthy pininess to it. Maybe even a touch of like that eucalyptusy, um, really nice cush. Yeah, to me that's like super nostalgic. I love that. How would you guys describe it? I definitely get gas. You know, it's got no sweetness. Which there's a few OGs that have a little bit of like a sweet aftertaste mm. um, or on the sweeter side, I always preferred, you know, pine tree, salt water, gas, like just that mm. deep. This is the bathhouse, by the way. I can't remember if I mentioned that. <laughs> but yeah, that's Swish. That, I mean, that was part of the reason I picked Swish is because it was just mm. funky gas. And it has like a little bit of fruitiness to it, which sometimes come through on some of them. Um, but it's not like sweet fruit. Um, it's hard to describe. More of a like a diet fruit leather. Is that even a thing? <laughs> yeah, like a half is a sugar-free sweet fruit leather that's not made with fake sugar. No, I, I love the fruit leathers. The next one I've got here, how do I pronounce this? I don't know how to say the second word. London? Bish. Oh, London Bish. Oh, I just, I, di I, didn't, I didn't have it lined up properly. I was like, oh, shoo. <laughs> London Bish, cool. I like that. So... This one's got more going on. 
So that's the London Pancake 75 by the Swish, yeah. that hash pine fino. You definitely get a little bit of gas, but it's more eucalyptusy, more like almost citrus, but not citrus, like a bit of like nasal flaringness. Yeah, there's definitely like a bit more to it, but it's like um, different angles to the smell. Because, yeah, there's gelato, lemonade. Uh, I can't remember what the other cross is with the London pound cake. Um, but, they, yeah, the lemon comes through a lot. Yeah, the, the lemon diesel has always been one of my, my very favorite strains. Like, we grew that way back when, and it was always super funky and unique and different. It wasn't very gassy. What like at, at the time we couldn't really sell it because it wasn't cushy enough. It wasn't like OG enough. It had like a you know a different funk to it. Um, back in the day, everyone just wanted gas. Like <laughs> fifty different OGs on the menu. You know, comes in waves, right? I feel like we're getting back there. So, I mean, on that note, next one we've got is the Geisha Breath. This one's interesting. It's um, it's got a few different things in it: the Meat Breath, TK, Cherry Pie, Gorilla Glue, Wish. I definitely get. A bunch of the Zwish, the Gorilla Glue, and a little bit of the Meat Breath and the TK. Really unique sort of smell. It's like it's cushy, but it, it not so much gassy, but there's a lot of other like sort of aromatic and earthy notes in there. I can't put my finger on them at all, which is unusual for me. We said it kind of smells like the Dragon Fruit Refresher from Starbucks. Have <laughs> you ever had that? Um, but yeah, it's kind of got that like sour D... Um, edible makeup, what do we call it? Animal vanilla smoothie. Yeah, there's like a sour D and then a softer part, the animal smoothie. I like that. Yeah, that gorilla, the gorilla's fire. And then, yeah, the cherry pie on this, I mean, there weren't a ton of phenos on this. The cherry pie terps came through, which was kind of a bummer. Um, there was a few, but it was a little, it was too light. Uh, but the meat breath, the meat breath TK for sure comes through. I mean, the cherry pie comes through. You can, like, visually it comes through. Although this stacks crazy hard. It's super purple. It's like these giant purple spears. It's iced out. So, I mean, as far as production goes, it crushes. And then it did, I mean, this Fino did, like, 3.5% or 4 somewhere in there, like, almost 4%, which is, you know, for rosin production, does really, really well. Um, but for flower production, this one bangs. And they're super, super potent. Like, super stony all this stuff on that note do you pay much weight or consideration to the ability for your strains to be purely flower produced or is there more focus on the concentrate potential so like maybe the flowers are like you know not as great as we want but like it, it, it produces incredible concentrates so like that's the goal like where, where how do you see that one uh the best ones you can find a pheno that does, or you can find more than one pheno. And like, I'll select a hash pheno and then I'll select a flower pheno. That, that's my favorite. Not all varieties will, will do that, but some of them you can actually find really, really, really good flower, uh, flower phenos, which they have this, I, I, my homie Watson, Dustin, who did the, uh, the cold heat, he always described it as like a rosebud sort of structure. Mm. Um, I like to think of it more like, uh, oh, what's that shit called? Um, Brussels sprouts, where you just have these giant, fully shaped nugs growing off this plant. And instead of having this one huge homogenous cola, which you can't break down, and when you do, it looks terrible, right? But if you have these like perfectly shaped flowers that just go all the way up the stem, 
Like that's kind of my ultimate favorite. But those are, they don't wash as well because they're dense. They don't open up. So sometimes, especially you find these more, they really look like older kind of sativa ones where they're bigger, they're more open, they're a little airier, which not structurally or visually appealing for like most people, but in terms of hash production, they bang. And if you're only ever gonna grow those for hash, we grow them hot, a lot of CO2, I want them to foxtail. I want as much surface area as possible so we can get big numbers on, on the wash where no one cares what the flower is gonna look like. It's only ever gonna be released as hash. Yeah, incredible. And what sort of varieties do you recommend for anyone who's listening right now who wants like a really good washer specifically out of your catalogs, maybe from the upcoming line? I mean, I know they're all designed to wash well, but what do you think? If someone is like, dude, I, I get the flower, I immediately turn it into heads. Like, what do you recommend? Cheetah Chew washes really well. The Terps are super fire. I love the Cheetah Chew. Um, anything with that lemon diesel in it is killer. It's got this lemon, honey, mustard, peppery. It's it's funky. It's a weird smell. Uh, but that one washed at like a little over four. Uh, the, yeah, the Cheetah Chew's banging. Super purple. It's a gorgeous flower. Uh, I've got a collab up in Washington right now, so that's going to be coming out. Actually, people who are in Washington State will be able to go get flour and hash of the, the Cheetah Chew uh, here very, very shortly. The other one would be the, the gummy, that Jelly Zona Zoda. So both Jelly Zonuts is a huge washer. That Fino that we crossed is a monster. And the Zoda, that Fino of Zoda that I picked is another another washer, four or five percenter. Mm-hmm. So that one did, what was that? That was five or over five? Yeah, it was big. Big, big, big washer. A lot, yeah. So gummy will come out in January. We haven't set a date yet, but january i think the gummy is my my personal favorite of them they're all they're all amazing of the five people around but yeah the gummy hits that sweet spot for me it's like it's got gas but it's got a lot it reminds me in some ways of um the pine sole cut of goji og from bodhi it's just like it's like gassy but it's got this interesting berryness to it that comes at you in a, in a unique way where it's not just like through the middle it's almost like around the sides it's like gassy in the middle and then like this sort of more sophisticated perfuminess around the edges. I, I really like the gummy a lot. Yeah, the gummy's kinda like a like a acidic acai kind of, you know, berry, floral, you know, grapey skittles. And then gas. Biscotti. Yeah. Gas. Biscotti gas. Which is interesting because the Zoda cut that I, that I use for all these crosses is uh, the most offensive dead animal, like, yeah, rotten dead animal at a truck stop that like had a bunch of, you know, oil spilled on it. And it's just, it's, it's rank and it's weird. And it smells nothing like any of the parents. A lot of the parents were a lot more fruity, floral, and kind of sherby and kind of berry. And then I was like, I was almost certain that that seed I'd fucked up cleaning the seeds and it had gotten, you know, from something else. <laughs> and then I grew it and I looked at like the photos and like at the structure of it. I was like, well, I, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely Zoda, like no question. But this was one of, I don't know, it was like a hundred and hundred plus phenos that I looked at. And this was the only one that smelled anything like this. It was also the washer. So it was kind of an easy choice. Yeah. I wanted to know, I was looking through your Instagram and I was sort of, 
trying to get a sense for myself of like what's one strain would I guess you would be most known for, so to speak. And I thought the Zoda, it appeared enough that I was like, maybe it's in contention. What strain do you think most represents the brand, just in terms of like the public's perception? What do you think people most associate with you guys thus far? I think Zelda, for sure. Um, Zelda is one of the, the heavier producers that's in, you know, in rotation at the most, you know, rec and bed shops and most growers. That was a, you know, relatively big release. Um, I mean, I saw a seed pack of Zoda at auction sell for like five grand, which nice. is awesome. It would have been super awesome if they shared some of that with me, but hey, you know, the fact that it went for that, which is outrageous is yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah, look, on that topic, I noticed on your site, there's probably only about three or four strains that are in stock by the looks of it. I was wondering, do you find it hard to keep up in terms of seed production matching the demand? Yes. Yes, I do. It is very difficult. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the feeding frenzy that can sometimes occur is awesome, but it's hard to keep up with. And trying to make enough... I mean, really, like, having... Since I have to test everything and I have to grow it out and then I have to have it tested by the tester network, like the release, I said it takes me a year, a year and a half to do the release. And um, 95% get cut, and, if not more. Yeah, well, man, probably, probably, maybe, yeah, 95, 90, 95% of the stuff that I make just doesn't make it for whatever reason because it's not, it's not good enough. It's, you know, if it, say I get a cut that makes it through quarantine, makes it into rotation, I grow it out, it's like cool enough that I think maybe this will, maybe this will do well. We'll make the crosses of it, we'll grow some of them out. And then if they're kind of like, I mean, either they get discarded entirely or they get thrown back in the fridge for a rainy day, like we'll, maybe we'll come back to it in five years, whatever. And then the stuff that hits that everyone, you know, everyone at the round table is excited about, that's what makes it to release. Nice one. And do you think that there'll ever come a time where you'll look to ramp up the production or do you think you'll always sort of keep it this small scale sort of vibe? I mean, probably ramp up to some degree just to keep, like, as as the market gets bigger, I want more people to be able to have and smoke more in unique different terps. But I do like that, you know, the community of people who grow umami, it's like a smaller group of people who really, you know, appreciate what I'm trying to do. And I think part of, you know, like I'd never got into it to make this giant mega seed corp that is just going to bang out the same variety over and over and over again. That's, it's been done. There's people that want that and that's great, but I want to make, you know, we'll keep it relatively small. Plus, you know, at one point I had like 30 employees and that was, uh, it was really hard. It was insanely difficult. Now it's, you know, me and Harry, a few others, it's a lot easier to manage, you know, and having, having direct access and functionally doing all of the work makes more sense, especially if I'm going to put my name on it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want the company to get too big where we like create something and I never grew any of it. Then it gets released and it's just like, you've lost, you've lost the, you know, the personal touch of it you've lost the yeah it's just not for me not for us yeah sure thing look you mentioned a few times that you've done some collabs and maybe even some in the future what 
collaborations do you have coming up and what sort who are some breeders who you want to do some collabs with let's see we've got some more super seed collabs coming up um i think we've got a couple tiki collabs in the works what else we have going on the super seeds is going to be the next one to drop social soda yeah super seed co-collab which i love i love super seeds there we've done them for a long time tell me about that is it seattle soda yeah tell me a bit about that strain that one's out of control fire. It is, it's kind of like a, a Sherb-esque sort of purple. I mean, it's a, it's a UV perp mm-hmm. um, and so delicious, which is a, another cross that the homie made, which has got like, I mean, it's funny because it has train wreck and like lemon haze in it, but it doesn't, I don't get any of those flavors from it. Mm. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, the, the Seattle soda is like a cushy, grapey, it's definitely fizzy. It definitely has that, like, not, it's not got the same grape turp that the fizz has because that's like grape gas. This is more like grape cream, like, uh, like a grape creamy chapstick or something. Oh, it's yeah. got this, like, and uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone remembers those, like, old flavored chapsticks. It doesn't have that chapsticky, waxy bit, but it does have that definitely, like, kind of artificial grape with this, uh, I mean, it's acidic, right? It's very, like, prominent in the nose. Mm. you feel it like right up in your next to your eyes you know like it's all up in your sinuses that's cool and so when you're doing collabs do you ever consider like working those lines forward or is it generally more of like a one-off special thing because like you know like the fans can't really get it from you know the hybrid you can't get it from either camp individually it has to be the collab or do you think that if you found something cool you'd like you just work it forward yeah yeah, for sure. Because I would never, for me, it doesn't make sense to make the same cross over again, but to make an F2 or a back cross or any of that, like that, that's still open game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's, it, it's different enough. It's not exactly the same thing. So in terms of like my sort of rules for umami that I like to follow, that doesn't break a rule and it still helps to inject something different and unique and you can still dive in and hunt and find if someone wants that exact same pheno, they could find, or if they want something else, I kind of draw the line at S ones. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why. I think I've just uh, sorry, as in you don't want to do S ones. Yeah. Okay. Like I wouldn't do a Zoda S one. Okay. For example, and it's I if we did, I'm sure they would. Well, seed banks tell me all the time I should do that because it would do really well. Uh, mm. But I'm that's not. I, I don't know that I'm not interested in that. I'm not excited about that. Mm. You know, and I haven't done it enough where maybe I, maybe if I do it and I find some super awesome phenos and it's like, what have I been missing? But there's so much, you know, there's so many other things that I want to work on. That's definitely on, you know, on the tail end of projects that we might, uh, we might go forward with. Sure. Sure. A back cross is far more interesting to me. Yeah, I can I can understand where you come from with that one for sure. Before we jumped into the interview, we were talking about it and I had it as a question, so we may as well jump into it now. But I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on sort of the the conventions of naming strains because I noticed a lot of your strains have the word Z or Z in them because, you know, relating to the parentage. Do you find it hard to come up with names? Do you think you're ever going to find it easier or is it just getting more infinitely harder to come up with names as each sort of year goes by depends on the the hybrid to be entirely honest sometimes they the name just 
materializes comes to you it's perfect you don't even really have to think about it it just presents itself uh, i wish that was the case more often because normally there is a lot of effort expended on figuring out a good applicable name for the thing that is unique doesn't step on anyone's toes hasn't been used before and you know you like early on it was always like someone crossed uh black i think it was black uh black widow and jack herrera and they called it blackjack because right so but eventually we ran out of the ability to take both of the you know com some combination of the name and there's yeah. only so many things that you are even remotely creative or like sound you know interesting enough to use so then we started doing a lot of the z stuff because people and really, I was a little against it early on. So I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb. Like, you know, whatever. I, everyone's using the Z. I was like, well, it, you know, from a scientific perspective, it, it helps for people to have some familiarity with what is in the thing. So if there's a Z in there, really, it should have Skittles in it to some degree. Um, but I think that's been, like, I did that more than I'd like. So now I'm really trying to get more creative on naming. But it takes... A village literally <laughs> so we'll have like 10 or 12 people hang out smoke the strain talk about it look at the genetics dive into the you know long history on the genetics and really like try and identify something that's unique and cool but it's so hard it's hugely and i mean on the other end of it how do you feel the name game affects the commercial success of a strain do you feel like a catchy name is sort of a fundamental part of a strain really getting traction with the broader community? Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. And some of them, especially if it's a smaller release where I like a name because it's funny, like Bathwater, for example, you know, like will Bathwater sell at a shop? Possibly. And one of the thoughts when we're naming stuff is like, hey, if, if this is on the, the menu at a dispensary, is someone ever going to want to smoke this? It has to, you know, like the name has to be good enough that someone's interested or appealing in some way. You know, and I think a lot of, even like a lot of strains that are really, really good, they kind of fall off or you just end up renaming them. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Look, you have such a variety of unique strains in your arsenal. I wanted to just like, basically interrogate you on a few of them to find out more because I'm just genuinely curious. <laughs> so, um, Kiwi Sherb, grab my eye on your website because I think you sort of said like it's maybe like a bag seat or something like n people aren't 100% sure what that one is, but I think you've made hybrids with it. Um, do you know? Do you have much info on that one? I think you're talking about, that was from Tiki, is that Kiwi Sherb cut. And okay. I think that was from the Tiki Club. So when we gave him our Zucci, he had it to a clone only. He okay, has yeah, I wasn't Kiwi sure. Because, yeah, I sent him my Zucci cut. Our yeah. male. And then, yeah, yeah. He, he had a bunch of his clone only. So, yeah, he sent me one of his females, oh. and I reversed it, and I made the fems, and I sent him a male, and then he made the regs. That Zucci, that Zucci male is bulletproof. Tell me about the Zucci male. I've, I've heard the name before. What's it like as a strain? So, the Zucci is, let's see, how to, how to best describe the Zucci? The Zucci is a monster, and I don't, I never was a big fan of any of the females in that line that I found. They were really good, but nothing blew me away. 
except the male. The male is this big monster, stacky, giant cola making male that like, I'm sure you've seen males that have like a lot of little bananas and they're like kind of sparse all the way up the top. This makes giant bananas out of all of the pollen sacs. Like it makes like full, <laughs> it looks like bananas wow. made of little tiny bananas. It's the craziest thing ever. And it's just iced out from tip to toe. Yeah. Um, so when I found that male, uh, I actually misidentified it as a female the first time <laughs> because it didn't look like it didn't have any male traits whatsoever when I was sexing the first population. I was like, okay, cool. And then I threw it into a room um, to test it out for flowering. And then it turned into a male and I was like, looking at it, it was all frosty. I was like, well, we're definitely keeping this cut, you know? That's gonna be a, a definite win. Cause I've been running that generation for a while. So that one started back on the original release of uh, the Mac Mint male pollinating all my stuff. I found a male Froyo, which was the Mac Mint by the Sunset Sherb. So it started, started at Mac Mint, then I made Froyo. Then on the Froyo male, that was crossed it to biscotti that became Kentucci. And then I crossed that to Skittles that became Zucchi. And then I found another male from that crossed that to animal mints that became swish. Mm -hmm. And then I found the female from swish and made the reversal. So I've been working on that male like population since like 2016, 2017. So I know everything about it. Mm. Like it's easy to pair stuff now because I, I know exactly what it's going to do. Yeah. I know exactly what the phenos I'm looking for are. And it's, like I said, it's bulletproof. That's cool that you've like continued on the project in that regard. You got me wondering, in general, do you have a specific process or traits you look for when selecting a male? Or is it more like a certain one just sort of speaks to you? Mm, it definitely speaks to you. They... A lot of people think stem rub is something to go off of. I've kind of gone back and forth on it. I don't think it's really, like, I, it doesn't give me enough of an indication one way or another. I've had plenty of things that had no stem rub that came out really, really good, and, you know, the other way around as well. Um, selecting males for me primarily was vigor, structure, no signs of flowering in veg. Any autoflower tendency is gone. I, I can't do anything that has any like hardcore autoflower tendency in my because I'm not growing autoflowers um, not viable for me so none of that structure like I said I mean structure so like veg structure and then flower structure like what's it stack what's the stretch look like and then ideally this doesn't all not always the case and not necessarily indicative of a male that's gonna you know win you awards or you know destroy destroy stuff and just be a fucking killer is uh frosty and frosty males because mm -hmm. i've had males that have tested seven nine ten percent really? which they're iced out there's trichomes all over them have you ever tried to smoke them no i would probably die <laughs> i'm deathly allergic to pollen i've had um what's hay fever since i was a kid yeah yeah so all all pollen i'm no, allergic no, to geez. and then cannabis pollen i uh I have to wear my like big giant respirator that like covers my eyes too. And I'll wear like a Tyvek and then I will literally like walk that whole, after I'm done pollinating or like cleaning seeds or whatever, I'll walk that whole rig in like under like a shower 
and I'll like rinse myself down and try and like knock the pollen down after having taken a bunch of like Benadryl or whatever. Because it'll just, yeah, I could never smoke a male. I would probably die. Yeah, look, understandable. I, um, I had a few more unique females I wanted to ask you some questions about. I wanted to ask you about the lemon pepper. That sounded very unique. Lemon pepper is super fire. So that is a, I didn't make that one. That's a cut that I got from my homie um, from the network. And the lemon pepper is one of the only strains that smells exactly like what lemon pepper smells like. It's super, super floral and this like lemon mustard funk that also is really, really peppery. Uh, it doesn't have hardly any bag appeal. It's like a really ugly plant, mm-hmm. which is kind of unfortunate because the terps are out of control, but it breeds really, really well. And probably 75% of the, the progeny look amazing, but you do get like 25% that are ugly as hell. They're big. But the lemon berry, what we made out of the lemon pepper, the, the cross that we did, the yeah. ugly one was the tastiest one. The ugliest by one, far. yeah. The, the lawn clipping one. Like, I, I saw the pheno, I discarded it. I was like, this thing is so horrible looking. It's the ugliest thing ever. But I had a couple ounces, so like everything else, we dried it, threw it into bags. And then, yeah, the, the lemon dairy number three. Oh, how I wish. I, I'll find that pheno again. I'll, I just got to hunt through the seeds. But that was the ugliest. I mean, it literally looked like lawn clippings. Like, it was horrible looking. And I didn't trim it, and we smoked that stuff, and it was amazing like the most lemon like actual lemon people describe jack as lemon i kind of get like a little upset about that because i don't like there's a lot of strains that are like lemon like true lemon like lemon peel yeah like not like the sweet zesty but the like more like funky lemon yeah like bitter with the pith and all that yeah that's interesting you got me wondering what's the most memorable terpene you've ever smelled like when you think in your mind like what's just if I say, what's the craziest terps? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, what jumps to mind for you first? There was a this strain way back when. I don't actually remember what it was. It was some diesel cross, uh, but it tasted exactly like dryer sheets. <laughs> exactly like dryer sheets. And I had like maybe two grams of water hash that I got at the Emerald Cup, and I smoked the tiniest dabs of that for like six months. <laughs> I I'll, I will look until the day I die and find that same turp profile again. But if you, like, if you just crunched up a bunch of dryer sheets and started chewing on them, that is what it tasted like. It was amazing. So weird. So delicious. Interesting. And it gets, it, we sort of get into this territory of like, do you think that the strain's name should at least try to accurately represent the flavor profile? Or do you think like it doesn't really matter? Mm, I think I don't think it matters that much. I think it's very difficult to not make it. If you only chase those types of names that will make more sense on a description, then everyone, like a lot of the names are going to be really the same because a lot of the flavor profiles are pretty similar. So like, how do you differentiate the thing? It's It's tough. You know, we need to have, the more people get into like higher end products and like one of the things legalization in Vegas did, which is kind of interesting is that they have mandatory terp testing on everything. So a lot of people, they won't necessarily only look at the cannabinoid profile. They'll look at the terpene profile and like though the, the terpene profile is about as unique 
as anything else. Like if you wanted to map genetics, you can just as easily map them with their terpene profile ratio as you can with like their genes. Yeah. Or at least like, you know, for, for our purposes, it's close enough. Uh, so I'm hoping we have like enough like flavor indicators or something else that people could look at and say, okay, I'll, I have kind of a good idea as to what that, these are flavors that I like. Mm. So I could make a selection based off of those parameters, not just based off the name. Yeah, look, that's really interesting, like the way the market's going to evolve to influence the way they select things. And I noticed on your website, you had something really unique on the pineapple soda description. You sort of talked about the different flavors you'd get from your Puffco at different temperatures. I actually thought this was really cool. It was kind of novel. I hadn't really seen it before. Do you think providing this extra sort of focus description, maybe focus towards like concentrates, given that's what you guys breed for, um, do you think that'll become like a more normal thing going forward or was that just like a fun little thing you did for that one? That was hairy. Yeah, I mean, we try to incorporate more of the hash before the seed drops now. So like all these flavors in front, we already have them in big hash production because we want people to know exactly what it can do. What's a reasonable hash number? Like how can you move forward? So yeah, having that. And then, yeah, some things definitely have different flavors depending on the heat that you hit it at so like between 400 degrees to like 550 might be a totally different experience and like you might be able to really taste it more at the 400 but that higher heat can give you like some different flavors you might be missing in a different way depending on like what temperature those terps burn at i'm assuming but i mean have you noticed that oh yeah that definitely different terps have different boiling points and if they flash off too quickly then you only get some portion of the the total terpene profile so temperature is is very dependent um on flavor or i guess i should say flavor is very dependent on temperature yeah look definitely and you just referenced like you know having these strains in production before the seed drops happen what's your sort of ideas on the breeding in sorry on the testing landscape in terms of do you just prefer to do it all in-house do you ever give stuff out to the public and say send us your results and do you think it's possible to test everything in the current breeding landscape? Because a lot of other guests have sort of said it moves so fast, like maybe you can test a few things and be like, you know what, this male seems pretty solid, but sometimes it might be hard to test absolutely everything. Where do you fall in terms of your beliefs on testing? Well, the product has the name on it, right? A lot of that, like the brand, I, want, I always want the brand to have integrity. And so... If I'm going to release something, we're going to drop something, it has to be, it has to have integrity and it has to have been tested and it has to, you know, sort of fit within the, the values of umami terps. And so we test everything we release ourselves, myself and, you know, in-house. We also send it out. We've got like a pretty big tester network on Discord now uh, and... We've got a good set of people who are really, really capable and really, you know, able to give us an accurate look at what someone who might receive a pack of seeds is going to experience. So that's very helpful to know how they're going to do. Because sure, I bred them. Uh, we're going to be able to grow them really well. Mm -hmm. Will someone else who doesn't have the same setup, doesn't have the same knowledge, 
it's going to grow in a different media. It's going to grow under a different light. Like I, they need to, they need to be workable for enough people where then we can release, release something. So yeah, everything gets, gets tested. And ideally we do everything in house forever, which it's, I mean, there's a lot to do. So, you know, I don't, as long as it all gets tested and I have multiple people running it at, at, you know, at least a large enough population where I know there's not going to be any major issues because I don't see how you can last in the space if you have a major flop, you know, if you do a drop and everything harms and there's a million problems, then like, was it worth it to do the drop or would it have been worth it to maybe wait six months, a year, and then do the drop? Like is, mm. is being first with the latest whatever that important? And for us, it's, it's not. Mm. Plus, like, I can't because I have to make, you know, a hybrid or create something else and then run the, you know, grow them out, which is why it takes like a year and a half before we have a release. But then I have all of 2023 and the first two quarters of 2024 already mapped out. Mm. So that's why when I was saying some of those land races aren't going to come until 24, 25, because that's the next available time <laughs> they can come out. That's interesting. I like that it's mapped out. You've definitely got to have a goal to be able to reach it. I wanted to ask specifically, you know, you guys have got an impressive uh, 28 cup wins. What's it like to have that level of competition success? And does it result from you guys submitting stuff or is it from like people who have bought your gear and then they've submitted it? So I'm actually really proud to say that is all collaborative works with people growing umami genetics and then submitting them to shows and winning. You know, and that's, I mean, that's the coolest thing ever, right? The one that they can take something that, it, it's very proof positive that what I've worked on, some of those flavors are awesome because I like them, but does the community like them? Are they workable enough that, you know, someone's going to grow? There's a lot of different people that make seeds. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of great cuts out there. So that had enough to stand on its own to make it through anyone's selection process of staying around and then be the entry and then be the entry that took first, second or third. I mean, it's like, mm. it's killer. That's amazing. So, I mean, on that note, what advice would you give to someone who's sort of interested in getting into breeding? How would you advise them in terms of like, you know, what to do and what not to do? Just start, just start making, making crosses, make hybrids, hunt seeds, find something cool. Probably give them out at first, see if you can get some people to grow them for you. Yeah, you know, find, I mean, it's going to be easier if you know someone who has like any sort of scale who can grow, who can help get you off the ground because it is, I mean, it, unless you have a ton of money, uh, it's not an easy thing to break into, especially now where the demand, I mean, the requirements for people producing seeds or people running genetics are so high. They've never been higher. They want biggest, strongest, frostiest, terpiest, and you're just like, you know, to, you have to have, you have to start with those genetics as well, right? You can't just find whatever fuck off gear at your local dispensary and then like make a cross and think that that's gonna like run. Mm. Like you, if you wanna put your kid in, you know, if you want your kid to be a D1 athlete, you better make sure like you're a D1 athlete and your wife is a D1 athlete. Mm. Like, 
Yeah, genetics definitely play the biggest factor in the sort of success of a newbie grow. So on that topic, what genetics excite you? What do you want to get into next? Well, I'm kind of diving back into some of the old, the old school, right? I got a lot of the OGs back. Um, we're popping a lot of land race stuff, trying to find... I mean, there's, there's sort of this homogenous structure and terp profile that has become, a, you know, very popular now, which is great signal for me to start to shift away from that and find something else. I've always tried to find like our own lane still close enough that it's, you know, an easy, uh, easy move for people to go from where they're at to, you know, where I want to be. Um, but the last thing you want to do is go like too far left or too far right where you're just like super excited about some flavor profile and like no one else is, which is fine for small projects and like just for, for you and your friends or whatever. But if you actually want to impact like the, the space, right, the whole, cause it's a global community, right? I mean, that's 28 mm. event, like worldwide and like 10 of those are in South America or seven are in South America that we, you know, my homie, we're doing a collab with uh, Sugar Seeds and they've been winning every event that they enter, which is, nice. you know, there's not as much competition down there, you know, and having West Coast genetics certainly, certainly helps. So it's going to be exciting when there's a lot, you know, higher level of competition and we can still, you know, compete, win. And mm. it's fun. The, the events are fun. No, you touched on an interesting point because it's like it's one thing to make a cross, but then it's another thing to actually have people want to grow it out and want to grow it out maybe around the world. And I guess you're giving me a good opening to ask this question because I did want to ask you, like, do you think you would ever breed something without cookies in it in the sense that, like, do you think, like, a project like that could really succeed or do you think, like, these days, like, it's sort of you're not really playing to the market, so to speak? I mean... To breed something that doesn't have any cookie genetics in it at all is, I mean, there's still plenty of crosses that I've, you know, that I've made that don't have, don't have cookies in it. And I've got, so there's fridges full of stuff we've never released because it wasn't necessarily the right time and the market wasn't in the right place. Uh, you know, that said, there's how many, you know, it, it eventually becomes a backbone to some degree, mm. right? Just like OG. Like some of these other like, you know, oh, is, is anyone going to stop breeding with like Gany genetics or like, you know, yeah. eventually when you go all the way back. I, I, I wonder in 20 years, is it going to be like NL or it's like NL is just in everything. It's just accepted. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. And it's just like, I, I think we're just, it's too early to be able to look back and go, oh, that's just the new paradigm. That's just because there was probably a bunch of Afghanis got wiped out by NL. And pe people were probably not happy about it, but now it's just like, it is what it is. And when cookies is however many generations back, it comprises what percentage, you know? Very, very small, ultimately. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get that down to 20, you know, 20% of the genetics, 5% of the genetics. You know, it, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't take that long. Yeah, true, true, true. And then it's merely one small fraction in you know this big mm. polyhybrid that's just like a structural component or something almost yeah so i wanted to ask you i've been weirdly feeling not weirdly but like it sort of surprised me I, I get the vibe that like sunset sherb and gelato are like making a comeback do you guys get that vibe am i out of touch or is it the children um i always like sherb the sun the sunset sherb was one of my favorites 
of all time from the first time I smelled it. Still one of my all-time favorites. Um, I will smoke that forever. But I don't know, Harry. What do you think? You think people are getting more back into? I think it's just been around and it's going to stay around. It's just it's such a good flavor profile, especially for someone who's just getting into cannabis. Like it's almost like having them smell a tangy when someone doesn't really know. Like they can only describe cannabis as smelling like like weed. Like they they like I don't know. It smells like a plant. But if you can give someone like a real like tangy orange, they're like, oh, I think I can smell the orange in that. I feel like with like a good gelato or a sherb, when you smell that bag, it's like, whoa, I can actually smell some like sweet, like candy, like this is different. This isn't, this isn't just weed, you know? So I feel like for that reason, it's just always going to stay around. But I also love sherb. Like, I mean, there's sherbs, maybe a desert island strain for me. There's staples and the people, people get to decide what becomes a staple and what falls mm-hmm. out. Yeah, fully, fully. While we're on the topic of gelato, I wanted to ask you, lemon cherry gelato, another like hot name in the community. A lot of people talk about it just being runs. But then I talk to other growers who are like actual growers and they're like, oh, I've grown them side by side. They look a little different. What do you guys think? Well, I've grown the lemon cherry, I've grown white runs, two different cuts of runs, pink runs. Uh, I mean... Who's to say what is actually what? You know, there just becomes too much. Like it's like the game of telephone, where someone passes the cut and then it's it's this and it's that. And so like I've seen I've seen cuts of lemon cherry that were not the cut of lemon cherry that I ran. Like the cut of lemon cherry that we have is this like kind of the more prominent one. It's from you know we got it from the bay, like my homie up in uh in Grass Valley, and I've grown the you know like I said two different cuts of runs. One looks very similar. To the lemon cherry and one looks nothing like it grows totally different different stem structure different leaf structure different flower structure um but it's, it's so hard to tell plus if you grow it in a different environment with different feed the you know physically it'll look different they they'll appear to be they could be the exact same cut and they'll look like wildly different phenos so mm. it's just it's so hard to tell yeah. could be could be the same thing yeah, interesting. I, I wanted to ask you guys about like your thoughts on the lag time between like strains being released and then like maybe when it actually starts to get some public traction. And I think this is sort of exemplified by the fact that Leafly just recently announced that um, JBZ's Jealousy was like their clone of the year or whatever. And I thought that was interesting because I remember JBZ did like the huge clone drop of that. It was like about a year. So I was like, okay, so you could sort of say it's about a year you know, or sometime between that, between like it getting out into mass circulation and then the public being like, this is it. So would you agree that like you reckon 12 months is about the time lag from sort of when you maybe start getting it out there to when maybe the end consumer is starting to maybe get hyped? And and what's your thoughts on that time lag? Is it like, does it make your job as a breeder harder? I think it's some strains will come out, like they come out of the gate hot and there's no there's virtually no lag time Mm. which is you know not not always the case but some come out hot some i think you know 12 months is probably your like 10 to like 10 to 15 months is probably your average Mm -hmm. um but what's interesting is you see strains that'll be out for like two or three years or like four or five years and then all of a sudden for whatever reason (laughs) they blow up that and you're just like, what happened? Where where did this come from? This has been around, and now all of a sudden, it's hype, and everyone's after it. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see like some of those get rediscovered mm-hmm. where they've been, you know, they've been in hiding, which sometimes it's just coming up with a clever new name and some fancy logo and, you know, some bubble letters, but not always. I bet you RS11 will be the next Leafly strain of the year. That was the next big clone drop yeah. by that gang. So wouldn't you be surprised if in a year from now, it's RS11. Right. Should do. Uh, it probably will. You're right. Hey. So on the tail end of the questions, I wanted to ask you, are there any breeders you haven't worked with? You're maybe not necessarily friends with. Heck, maybe maybe they don't even breed anymore. They're like super old school. Any breeders you like wish you could do collaborate with or like use some of their work? Um, sort of like, you know, fantasy football style question. Man, it's, it's so funny because they say you should uh, hustle hard enough until your idols become your rivals, which, <laughs> you know, is, is a true statement. Um, and there's... I mean, there's a lot of breeders in the space who've like contributed like a lot. Um, but once I got, so like five or six years, like if you asked me that question, like early on in the career, I would have been like, oh, this person, this person, this person, this person. But maybe it's just kind of silly. And like, I just, the, the more I get into like my own, my own gear and like finding like my own stuff, there's so much in there that like, I haven't had the proper time to really go through the rest of the fridge and hunt all of my other flavors mm-hmm. and you know find something new and different in in that in that category but i mean who who do, like for you who, who do you think would be would would mesh well with umami terps yeah, i don't know that's a good question about who you know if we could just tap on the shoulder and ask them because we've been lucky enough to do collabs with big you know big names um the Sherbinsky collab fucking crushed mm-hmm. that was awesome um, yeah, you know, Tiki, Super Seeds. I like collabing with people that I, I know and I've worked with in the past, you know, mm. who, are, who are super cool. Um, I like Soulfire's gear. I, I'd do something with Soulfire. Soulfire would be cool. Like, I mean, you know, might like fucking, you know, we have a couple cups, but like fucking hell, no one has more cups than Exotic Mike. Yeah. He's got uh, cups for Go days. On. And they've been in the space since forever, you know, he's, he's a G. Um, that would be, you know, I don't know, maybe that'd be kind of cool. Like, Those are some solid answers. I think that's cool. I I wanted to ask because I'd be curious to know. Uh, I'll get an answer from both of you. What's your favorite strain for head stash? Fizz. Fizz. It's just, it's so unique and so different than anything else. It doesn't grow very good. It doesn't look very good. It's like got kind of a strange structure, but just the smell when you break it down, it's like, yeah, it's like fresh, fresh cherries, but like injected with CO2 somehow. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like the fizz. I like cherry pie. Cherry pie is one of my like desert island all time, all time favorites. Cherry pie's gas, super heat. The fizz is kind of like cherry pie. It's fizz similar, like but it's pie. like a more intense cherry pie. Yeah. It's like, it's really? more cherry pie than cherry pie. Dude, I love cherry pie, dude. That's cool to hear. Uh, yeah, more grapey. But mine right now is probably the, uh, so my homie hunted this cut of Poison Gushers, which is the F1 Derb by the Gusher. And that one's out of control. Like some of the most umami terps of all time. And then I crossed that with Swish. So we call that Poison with a Z, which... You know, I don't know if we'll release it as that because I'm kind of getting sick of 
going down the Z rabbit hole too with too much. But the poison, um, right now, I mean, right now it's just PP number six. Yes, yeah. how I this <laughs> pastor poison number six, right? So PP six is my my current favorite right now. I love that. All right, now something that's maybe going to be a little left of field, but I love doing this. Um, what's something you're passionate about or a hobby you've got outside of cannabis? What do you like to do when you're not with plants? I play golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah. pretty into it. I fucking I got. I mean, I I played golf growing up, but I played just for fun. You know, there was a course by my house that was like a university course. It was like $7 to play like nine holes and we'd just go and, you know, smoke, good time. smoke weed and like hang out and, and do whatever. But then, yeah, I got back, I don't know, probably 2014, 2015. I like went to Roger Dunn and got like fit for a set of golf clubs and like I just got so hooked. Uh, so, yeah, I love being outside. I bring the Puffco, Davin, hitting, you know hit some golf balls. It's a fun time. That's beautiful. What about you, Harry? Uh, I'm a fly fisher. So oh, nice one. Grew up in Utah. Grew up fly fishing, mostly for trout. And then recently I got into saltwater fly fishing. So go to the Bahamas once a year and oh, do saltwater nice. fly fishing there. It's fun. He's being humble. He's like, you know, professional level of fly <laughs> fishing. Him and my dad, like I, I've gone with them a bunch and they are both, they, they leave me and my other brother in the, the, the different boat because that's like look if you're gonna be in this boat like we're running and they they'll catch i don't know 50 fish 60 fish me and my youngest brother will catch like two like <laughs> that's brilliant i love that i love that maybe two probably one between the two of us right follow-on question what's your favorite meal Ooh, i i mean i'm, I'm like kind of simple i like steak yeah like yeah, steak and potatoes and what like what do you get it cooked to? Medium rare? No, or... black and blue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like a fillet, black and blue, like pff, all day, every nice. day. Yeah. Respectable. Just some <laughs> simple, you know, simple man. You grill it on fire, like yeah. and then like a baked potato, like yeah. Perfect, Harry. I think like Japanese style ramen probably be my number one yeah, right now. One. Like some pork chashu and soft boiled egg. Yeah, definitely my top five is ramen. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, that brings us to the final five questions we ask everyone. Uh, so first one being, what is the single most memorable experience you've had with cannabis? So it doesn't necessarily mean like the strongest dab you've had, but just like maybe you're at a concert and like it just hit right. Or, like, you know, like what's the most memorable thing to you with cannabis? So when I first moved to California, I was living in Utah. And I was growing and trapping and being a goof. And I, you know, pushed my parents to the limit. And they were like, you need to get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> you go to California, maybe. Like, we don't know what to do with you, so leave. So I had just gotten to California. And I'd spent my first night out here. And we got a bag of OG Kush, $70 an eighth from my buddy's homie. And I remember waking up on the couch at his place in Orange. And I was smoking out of this, like, stupid pipe that had like a like a lion or something on the front like one of the like kid, dumb you know or like a leopard panther i think it was like a black <laughs> and it was just weird but i was sitting there smoking this pipe and i was just like okay this is gonna be great like this is this is gonna work this is what we're gonna do and i didn't i didn't have it all planned out at the time but like that was the first moment where i was like okay i can i can kind of start to see how i want this to go that's awesome. 
I love it. Harry, what about you? So in college, I lived in the Caribbean for a semester. I sold bed sheets to people who came in on cruise ships. It's a weird time. But um, I lived on St. Thomas, really pretty island. Um, so got a bag. Master Splinter was the name of my drug dealer there. Never learned his name, but just give him a call. You home? Yeah. Drive by. He'd just be sitting in a lawn chair out front, walk up, dime bag, 10 bucks, good to go. Um, and then we went up to like the highest point on the island and just smoked a joint up there. But I don't know. Just, yeah, just hit right, like you said. That's amazing. I love it. All right. On the other end of the spectrum, okay? All your homies are hyping up this strain. You're like, oh, fuck. Can't wait to try this. Finally comes around. Super unimpressive. How did people rate this? What strain is it for you? <laughs> blue dream. Yeah. The blue, the blue dream. I was, uh, I was unimpressed. I was up. I was a little upset. I was still hooked on OGs, so the Blue Dream was kind of meh. And then we got a cut of Double Dream, which was basically just Blue Dream 2.0, and uh, still upset about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But it yielded well, and it paid the bills, so we kind of had to, you know, had to run it. That's it. That's it. I don't want to keep hating on Oreos, but. I've seen some Oreos hash that looked incredible and someone was hyping up and I smelled it and I just got, um, what do we call it, uh, LaCroix, like hint yeah. of Oreos is kind of what I'd describe it, like hint of, hint of Oreos. <laughs> um, and the flower, the same way. I saw the jar sitting there and I was like, oh, I've got to get some of that. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, and then yeah. I remember smoking it and just being like, oh, this? Like, Bummer. yeah, sorry to Oreos lovers. Nice. All right. Something you referenced earlier. Uh, I'm going to drop you off on a desert island. You can take three strains. What three? Ooh. Okay. Let's see. We're definitely taking an OG cut. I'm not going to say which one because, you know, I don't want to. That's too difficult. But an OG cut. Um, definitely taking either fizz or cherry pie. And then probably... Oh, that's... I mean, honestly, like... I've been smoking on this Rainbow Belts 2.0 recently, and I could probably smoke that hash every day until I died. It <laughs> tastes, it's so overpoweringly soapy and weird, and it gets me the same weird, it, that's as close to the dryer sheet terp as I've found. Mm -hmm. Like definitely in the profile of cleaning products, but yeah, it's, I always joked, like, I thought Skittles or, you know, Rainbow Belts tasted like if you made a butter croissant but used Dawn soap instead of, like, <laughs> water in the dough. Like, it's just, it's got this really creamy, delicious, but just soapy, like, well soapy. Wow, there you go. Um, I'd say probably the Rainbow Sugar, which is a cross we did a Fizz. So it's got those same kind of Fizz terps, but it's got maybe, like, a little more stony. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably like something like a Rainbow Belts or the Skittles, just because that's such a unique flavor I'd want to have. And then, man, I don't know what for my third one. Um, yeah, maybe like an OG, like a Larry OG, or just something yeah. like totally different. Yeah, nice. One. Something green. I love it. I love it. All right, final question for each of you guys. You got a time machine. You can go back anywhere, anytime, any place. You can get either seeds or a clone. Where are you going to go? What are you going to get? 
Ooh, I'm going to go, I'm, I, I mean, how long do I have? Because I want to do the whole hippie hash trail. I want to do yeah. the old school shit. I want to smuggle a bunch of hash in a surfboard. I want to I want to do all of the things that I always read about, you know, like my parents' friends doing and just going into parts of the world that are like absolutely inaccessible to this day and tasting and finding stuff that is definitely extinct at this point. Like mm-hmm. and maybe it's awesome and maybe it's just like, oh yeah, we have all these flavors today. Like this wasn't, you know, like because part of the, the scent memory, you like fan, you romanticize flavors. Mm. I don't know if you've had this where like you don't have something for a long time and then you try it again and you're like, oh man, it's just like, it's not as good, you know? Like this doesn't mm. taste as good. Like is it, or did you just like romanticize it and make it better in your head? Mm. And it's, I mean, it's hard to say. Certainly, and Harry? Yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, can you go in the future with this time machine? I guess so. Why not? <laughs> um, I, I probably roadkill skunk. I probably just want to know, like, is it something that everyone just romanticized and they thought really smelled like that, and we do have it now, or is everyone just lying now and it's something that like, did exist and is now gone? So, I mean, Lupa told me it smelled like a, like a dead animal skunk. He was like, "No, it didn't. It's not skunk one. It wasn't this fruity, sweet skunk. He's like, it smelled like." legitimately it smelled like a skunk like a dead animal and i've only smelled a couple things that were even remotely similar that were like diesels and like some sours that zoda is about as close to dead animal skunk as i've gotten that that zoda 16 hmm. um but I, would, I would i would want to smell that like actually something that was verified because that's the that's the mystery on the you know everyone claims to be mm-hmm. the i am the keeper of the skunk you're like <laughs> i don't know about that like I wish, I wish whoever has it, they're they're not on the internet. You know, there's some old dude living yeah. in the woods. Like, don't have the internet. Some guy offline for sure. Yeah. And he's just sitting there in his backyard, smoking <laughs> his roadkill skunk, not a care in the world. <laughs> That's, That's it, right? So, I think, I think that, that just about brings us to the end of things. Were there any comments or shout-outs you wanted to make? Oh man, yeah. So, uh, shout out Exotic Ag. Fertilizer, shout out more, shout out to Clean Bio, our testing lab. Um, shout out to who else, Harry? Neptune Seed Bank. Shout out to Neptune. NeptuneSeedBank.com. That's where you can get all our seeds. Let's see. Yeah. Shout out to the podcast for having us on. Yeah. You know, fuck yeah, appreciate it. Excited to be here, excited to meet you in person, which was cool because didn't know we'd get this chance. So getting to hang out and take some dabs, not a bad way to spend your uh, your afternoon. 100%. It's a, it's a good recipe in my cookbook. A huge, huge, huge thank you to the dynamic duo behind the exotic turp powerhouse that is Umami Seed Co. Uh, so again, Umami and Harry, thanks for joining me. Yes, sir. Thank you. There you go, friends. What do you think? Huge shout out to Umami and Harry for coming by, having a chat, sharing all their knowledge, and a huge thank you to you for making it all the way to the end. As always, big shout out to our sponsors. If you want to help support the show, go support our sponsors. CT Now. Guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Check them out. The hottest breed is the latest crops. They've got everything you could want and more. Copa Biological Systems. You know them. You love them. They've got all the best pest and predator predation technology to keep your garden pumping on all cylinders. You want the best harvest today? Check them out. 
Better to keep your garden pest and pathogen free, guys. Get on top of it before it's an issue. Copa Biological Systems, we love you so much. And a huge shout out to our friends at Pulse Sensors. If you want to get the most resinous, heaviest yields, happiest plants possible, get serious. Get a Pulse Sensor. Make sure your room's dialed in accordingly. Huge shout out to the Patreon gang, as always. And that just about wraps it up for this one, guys. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you for the next one. We'll see you.